Your Majesty, we'll pay whatever price you set for your goods. They are not for sale. Until the spiritual advancement of the West catches up to the technological prowess, it would be irresponsible to share our scientific discoveries with you. Are you calling everyone here irresponsible children? No. More like sullen teenagers who feel more mature than their behavior warrants. The fact that every conversation here is framed in terms of profit and power says it all. You could have made half these breakthroughs yourself. But there's too much money to be made in misery. Why cure a disease when people pay for medicine? Why provide cheap energy Yeah, we when... get the point, Tachaka. <laughs> I've never met a socialist with a crown on his head before, but... I guess there is a first time for everything. Who gave you permission to use my first name? I-I am sorry. I did not mean to offend. I understand your frustration in dealing with a black man who can't be bought with a truck full of guns, a plane full of blondes, and a Swiss bank account. But please, hold on to what little class you have. Your man- You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. people welcome to our show per usual we had a few preemptions because hey as you know we're, we're really trying to get this YouTube imprint on and popping so we would appreciate if you do check out our videos certainly press like certainly subscribe it's hard work but it is fun we have more reviews more insights more on location video presentations forthcoming I just realized that next week we have the Equalizer sequel. That's coming up. And then the week after that, we have Mission Impossible Fallout. So there's quite a few things going on. And all the in-between things. So, again, Afro Radio is up and running courtesy of YouTube. And then, of course, we have our podcast. Anyway, people, again, this is the podcast. It is entitled The Grindhouse Podcast. The call-in number, you know the drill by now, is simply 646 Nine one five nine six two zero again six four six 
915-965-9620. So, we have a lot to discuss. That's part of the course. I want to go to this Herb Alt, Black Rock, classic soul groove. You might recognize it. You start to realize that when you listen to hip-hop music, maybe not so much about, and I'm going to say colloquially, not so much with the mumble rap, but preceding mumble rap, a lot of the hip-hop relied on tinkering and rejiggering classic grooves. So you would be surprised where people get their musical inspiration and musical sampling from. So I leave it, to the, leave it up to the audience to recognize this particular song, but this is a great British soul singer. He is Lobby Sifre, Lobby Sifre, and this is a hit called I Gotza, I Gotza. See if you recognize this cut. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
infamous time constraints. Once again, British soul classic. That was Lobby Seafray. I got the, I got the. And I think you recognize that groove from one of Eminem's past hits. Actually, there's a couple of songs that were come that that were derived from that particular song. So you, you realize that old school hip hop. Let me rephrase. I hate the term old school. Classic hip hop. That when those artists were coming out, they really did a great deal of mining and and carving up of some of these classic soul R&B grooves. So anyway, we're back in the fold, live and direct. Yes, we know we've been away for a minute. We had a show um, in the middle of the week, but we preceded a few shows, folks, because as I said, we're really trying to get this YouTube thing on and popping. So uh, that takes up time and. You know, we have other gigs as well. So there are things going on, trust me. Anyway, uh, one of the chief components of the machinery, of course, is my partner in White Collar Crime. He is the captain, Captain James T. Kirk. Kirk, let's get to it, sir. This is, uh, I'm going to beam you, beam you down. No, no, let me, let me rephrase that. I'm going to beam you up to the holodeck. Let's get to it, sir. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. in stature in respect to this. Potentially, theoretically, allegedly, the future can change the past, according to scientists. Now, that sounds like some nutso work. But in the hyperquantum <clears throat> theory, in respect to the future and the past, this is absolutely going on. Act Charlemagne the God all about it. The past allegedly, theoretically, potentially, might not be just prologue anymore. Future events, when observed, if the event is bigger, more powerful, making a reality, that reality may wormhole back into time and change the past event to make things manifest differently, different. So that being said, you have to be very careful if this is true. Ask Charlemagne the God all about it. Expunged, not a problem. You get big in the future, all of a sudden now, that event, which went one way, now is changed into a different reality, manifesting a different future for yourself. Very interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. Very alarming in the way reality may work, allegedly, theoretically, potentially. Everybody watch their back. Let's get it started, Afro Nerd. Yeah, you know, I was putting up for consideration if we, if we were actually going to talk about the Charlemagne situation because it dovetails on a lot, um, a lot of other issues, a lot of other issues that are pretty much connected to it because we, we are in a certain time frame, or as, you, as the captain had put it, we are dealing with some issues that uh, have come to light where it's a cultural component, I think, where now it's part of the course and it literally – it literally is taking no shorts, all comers now. Um, I know that Henry Cavill had to apologize 
for some statements that he had made in a GQ magazine article, a recent one, and he was speaking honestly, and we're getting to the point where we're not going to be able to be honest because uh, outside of being disrespectful, if you have a certain perspective, you really just can't apologize to everything. But it appears that, hey, he's got a movie coming out. I know he's going to be in this Mission Impossible I just mentioned, Mission Impossible um, so uh, the this, this, this up sequel, Fallout. So um, I'm pretty sure he had to capitulate because of this film coming up. But what he said was his honest feeling, so he had to fall back on that and apologize. And I don't know if people believe these apologies. They're just kind of a, a formulaic kind of thing you just have to do. If it's not an honorable apology, then why ask for the apology? I don't know. So he caught some heat, and then in maybe similar, not so similar fashion, we have, we have um, Charlemagne the God, who is a radio personality, a local, well, local to, local to us, but I know that The Breakfast Club is a franchise outfit, so I'm, I'm sure that they are heard in multiple outlets all over the country, maybe even internationally because of the Internet, because I, I've heard, I heard some – some brothers from the UK that were commenting about Charlemagne the God. So because of the internet, everything is kind of flowing out there globally. And he was pretty forthcoming for many years about this incident. So that's the only thing that makes me become very leery about it. If he had hit it, then we could, we could sit back and say, okay, well, they're going to scrutinize this, but, you know, we didn't know about it. He was very public about this situation many years ago. When he first came on the scene, he talked about this and how he felt he was railroaded and how he was how uh, the, the charges were, were, were never stuck. That he went through the system and and, and never stuck. That he was found uh, not guilty and and even so, there's no DNA evidence, from my understanding. Nevertheless, this young lady has come forward, and I think there's something else coming out that he did that's under some. Uh, cloudy or murky circumstances with another young lady so hey I was never a fan of this gentleman and I was never a hater either I was somewhat indifferent Uh, I thought that again being honest I thought that there were that 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 there are better more informed uh, better speaking people that that should have that spot but the zeitgeist doesn't call for that you can mispronounce words misspell things or what have you and still get a gig like that. That that's problematic for me, especially for people of color, black people specifically, because this is not the time to have people who are half assed about their game, about their abilities. But we, we promote people like that. That's what we and I'm talking about black people, I'm talking about just in general. People who really do not have it get promoted all the time. So that that was my my only issue with him. I thought that he was fighting to, to get it right Even some of the books that he has uh, Some of it has A, a, a quasi Conservative message It's quasi conservative, conservative messaging In some, some of what he says But he does not have the intellectual heft To really put it out there In a strong way So you get what you get And now he's caught up in this scene um, Since you brought it up Cap, we can, we can chop it up for a few minutes And then we can move along so, you know, you, you, you looked at this from more of a 
of a, of a uh, scientific perspective. Well, well, expound on that, or if you will, or even something that may not be metaphysical, the way you were speaking. How do you feel about this young man may lose his gig for something that he admitted to three or four years ago? Well, I'm not going to really go too far into the hyper quantum mechanical uh, theory because that makes quantum mechanics look like a walk in a park. And that looks like an hyper quantum theory is like you approaching on a beachfront saving Private Ryan with all the, <laughs> the bombs going off. So I won't go too far into that. But essentially, <clears throat> I'll keep it simple so you can grasp the concept. Uh, scientists, and, and I'm going to give you where I was using the concept. Let's go back in time. When I spoke about Black Panther, and I said, being that it's influencing people in the past to go out and do things, you know, I, I know one guy, he, he worked out things because of the movie. He said when the movie came, was coming out, he said, you know, I, 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 I got I to, gotta, you know, man, me, me and my I got to get ready. Me and my baby mom, I got to tighten it up. I've been slacking. So he got better with his baby mother. That people started working out and everything else. So using the formula in respect to that, it's, it's theoretical stuff. You know, it's theoretical stuff. <clears throat> Events in the future can change things in the past and make, things do, make people do things in the past. Time is not operating from a linear standpoint. Now, <clears throat> So I said that event in the future would have to be big in order to do that, which it was. It turned out to be rather big. It turned out to be rather big. Look what, look what Black Panther did based on the amount of people that observed it. So it was changing things in the near past. In the near past. It has changed things. Making people do things out, do things because of the movie in the present. So that was the first place you saw, you saw me doing it. Now... Scientists are saying future events can alter the past. That has big ramifications. It also has ramifications in respect to evolution and things of that nature. If this is true, it's theoretical. Theoretical. You understand? Allegedly, theoretically. If this is true, it has ramifications. Now, meaning which? Now, you could do something in the past, Right? But you're only a 40, we go down different timelines, let's explain, show you into the mind of the capitalist. You're some guy making forty or $50,000 a year. No one cares. Your case got expunged, it's not a big deal. You're only making 40, 50, 60 grand a year, you're a regular wage slave zombie, whatever. No one cares. No one's really coming after you. Same event now, but in the future, you become a name, people know you got money, there's more energy around you because more people are observing you. This, in turn, potentially, theoretically, can make that same event, this is according to the hyperquantum uh, theory, can make that same event bigger now in the past. So it changes your future. That's what I'm saying in respect to this stuff now. You know, so you have to watch, because you don't know, like right now you may say things on Twitter, and people are hunting you down for a day or two. You're getting stalkers. You're getting this. No one cares. You're not that big. 
Now you become big. You're on a TV show. You're running around people. Oh, we just signed a $9 million contract. You this, you that. People putting your name in. You know, people like to put in your name, how much your net worth and things of that nature. Now they go back into your Twitter account and say, oh, he said something about women. They're not going to do that for the 40 or 50 grand year guy. You understand what I'm saying? Unless you was at, uh, you know, some, some backyard party with your company and you said something you know, there, and it was filmed, and it was put on, and you worked for, let's say, some Fortune 500 company, and then it's observed by people, then you can get in trouble, you lose your job. That's different. But for the regular guy that's a little bit of money, no one cares. It's for the big guy that things changes. So this potentially, theoretically, is where we might very well be, potentially, allegedly, theoretically. Now, for Charlemagne the God, I never really had a problem with him or anything like that, you know. He's, he's there doing his thing. He was fortunate. He met the right people, you know, and he got an opportunity. In turn for Wendy Williams, you know who Wendy Williams is. Wendy Williams is huge, you know. <clears throat> so he got an opportunity. I really don't have a problem with him. I see him for what he is. But the ramifications for what is happening now, because you don't necessarily know what you become in the, in the future. You may run for office. You may run for this, and Afton is absolutely right. If you say things from a truthful standpoint, this is just how I feel, people got a problem with that. You have to flow with the general consensus, and the general consensus is either you don't say anything, you be nebulous or vague, nebulous and vague, and or, well, I support women, I support the transgender. Maybe you don't, you know, but this is what you have to say. I support women. I support transgenders. I su- support homosexuals. Maybe for whatever reason you don't like those people. You know, I think all religion is cool. Maybe you don't really feel like that, but you can't say that. That doesn't mean you want to hunt these people down. God forbid if you support ma- male do- dominance because you feel that's the way it should go, they will hunt you down for that. So maybe nebulous and being vague is the best way to go now if you're these people. You know, don't really give an opinion, you know. Just saying. Some food for thought for you to think about, that's all. Back over to you, Afternoon. Yeah, you know, the only person that seems to be absolved from that kind of stuff, though, is the is POTUS. <laughs> it seems that the reason why he got the game because it was, set was up because, that <laughs> I guess, he, he was able to say reckless things. And yeah, it's set up people, that way. It didn't stick with him, or he just was able to just ride that ride that wave, but for everybody else, they have to follow right. the rules. This guy is above the rules. He said all kinds of outrageous things that under normal circumstances, he would not have been considered for the presidency. So I that, mean, this is ridiculous. Make, you, make for a very, you make for a very interesting point. So they might be seeing, I don't want to go too far with this stuff. <laughs> because some would tell you he wasn't really supposed to win the presidency. So maybe something is going on. That's all I'll say in respect to Mr. Donald Trump, because he seems to have a shield around him in respect to this. How did that shield get around him? (laughs) But I'll leave that alone. I'll leave that alone. That's speculation. That's conjecture. That's madness. That's another. You're another. You know, I won't get into that, you know. But you're on to something. I will say that, sir, after learning. Well, look, um... Former governor of Vermont, Vermont, pardon me, why can't I speak? Former governor of Vermont, 
doctor, people forget that he's a, he's a doc, medical doctor, Dr. Howard Dean, when he ran for president, he famously, you know, lost, I think, lost a campaign. It was very early in the election cycle. So he lost one when he was like the front runner. And we've seen that. I think Obama lost a couple before he started really to cook. But he took it in stride and he had a ebullient moment where he kind of just went through it. It's, it's very well known. And it, uh, Howard Stern, another Howard, Howard Stern and other shock jocks in the me, um, uh, media, they took his ebullience where he kind of screamed out all these, like, he did one of those yeehaw things. He was getting into it. Maybe he's a little bit rambunctious. But that little bit well, of glee, that threat, that, that, you know, we're going to we're going to take Arizona. We're going to take uh, Montana. We're going to take New York. He just, he just he was just getting into it. All right. I didn't look at it like he was a crazy person. It was a little extra. But comparatively speaking, come on, the guy. However, whatever happened because that was maybe 15 years ago, whatever. Whatever happened between then and now, either the crazy people have had – well, you know, listen, look, in 15 years, you have another generation, maybe even two generations. So people are letting things slide. But at that time period, when he went off like that, went off script and kind of had a moment of glee, people looked at that like right away. One, one mistake. You, they found – a booger in your nose, not to be grotesque. <laughs> but they, but they, I got to, I got to, I got to go to the absurd to, to make people understand. It, it, at that time, they found something off with you. You were getting slammed. Up, oh, that's not the guy. Up, oh, that's not the guy. No, 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 no. We can't have that. That was a collective kind of thing. Everyone was pretty much in agreement. Nope, this guy's a little too batty. Next, but <laughs> here you have Donald Trump, who has a book. Of crass behavior A book of crass behavior And it's all good So you know look I, I can appreciate Somewhat Of Charlemagne's Positioning only in the sense That you know he was He was, he, he was appearing to have a good run And now they, They're attempting to kind of dismantle that For something that Initially he was forward about he was very forward about this thing, going back a couple of years. Now we even hear it as even DNA testing that even goes deeper. They're not going to reopen this case. They, they said so. They're not going to reopen it. There's nothing to reopen. It's done. But the court of public opinion, this stuff has to be shot down. You can't come back almost two, de- two decades later and get some run. I mean, well, morally, you can't come back. Morally, you can't come back. But now we see that there's a place to make a complaint, even when legally you're out of here. So uh, it is what it is. And, I, and I, I kind of connected it to the Henry Cavill deal because this this actor, our, our own Superman, at least for the moment, um, I, I appreciate what he brings to the role. I think that he got a raw deal with being linked up to this DCEU. And I've said this ad nauseum on the show. There's nothing wrong with him. I think he's a great Superman. I just think that what he's given is crap. But anyway, he had a moment of candor, and that's, what, that's, that's something that's really bothersome, Cap, is that the audience, the fan base, 
they're the first to complain about these people are real. We want actors to let their hair down. We want them to be as natural as possible. So when they cross cross their legs and they and they say what they feel, then all of a sudden, well, we wanted you to be, wanted you to be real, but you didn't want we didn't want you to be that real. <laughs> so and all he said was, all the man said, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, look, as a young actor, because of the Me Too movement, I really don't know how to approach women anymore. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to to put it out there because. Something could be something could be misconstrued. Something could be misconstrued and go from zero to a hundred, and and it's classified as rape. Now, I don't appreciate the fact, again, that you have these these people shouting from the cheap seats that are saying this man is not entitled to give his opinion. He's entitled, and he wasn't disrespectful, but he, they said, well, you don't have a right. He doesn't have a right to be a victim. No, we are victims. You're not the victim. These are men. It's, I'm paraphrasing a game, but this is what's out there. These are men that are boo-hooing because of, the, because of their discomfort with Me Too. And the rebuttal was, well, just don't be a rapist. Just don't be a rapist and you'll be fine. No, no, no. It's, that's easier said than, than done. This, this man, I would suspect, is, is, probably has a decent bank account. Uh, he's making money in Hollywood. Um, he is the setup guy. He could potentially be the setup guy. And he has a right to feel that way. And it is real. And it is real. Cap, I, I want to mention something real quick. I got to mention well, this. I got to be But go ahead. I, I got I to mention this, and I, gotta, and I have to be very vague about it. I have, I have to be because it deals with a client. Okay, so I got to be vague. This is my alter alter ego deal. I came across a client who was a young lady living somewhere in the States, and I suspected that she was a Kim Kardashian type. Now, take that as you could take that as you see fit. So she, she's very wealthy, and she needed some she needed she needed some some work done with her automobile, right? So I'm trying to be as vague as I can. Let's, let's put it this way. When I, when, I came across, when I came across this woman and I found out who she was, she, young woman in her early 30s, very attractive, and I found out that she gained her money by being a guma to someone you know. Okay. That, everyone, okay. that someone, very, someone very famous who is since deceased. Someone very famous, it was that person's guma, in Italian term. And when I went through her information, multi-million dollars in uh, real estate and all kinds of stuff going on, right? So I'm like, no one, the, the Me Too doesn't talk about this stuff. The Me Too doesn't talk about duplicitous women. Who are able to do the? And they've been doing this for centuries, actually. Obviously, but when you see it in your face, I'm like, wait a minute. This person is is on the cut. This person, I mean, this person. You could Google this person and see this person's. Uh, I'm trying to be again. I got to be careful. You could you you can Google this person and pretty much see what's going on. I'm just like, wow. It's like that, and th- that kind of person really isn't critiqued. That person isn't really critiqued. 
being able to come up on the come up through, you know, being a young ingenue for someone who's who's worth a lot of money. And that's that's the hustle that Hollywood has out there. Hollywood has that hustle in conjunction with women who are just trying to, uh, you know, employ their skills so they can get a gig and, and just work. You know, they have working actors, male and female, who are just trying to get by. They don't really want to deal with this, this nonsense. And then you have the duplicitous types, which is maybe half or more of Hollywood, and no one can say a damn thing. That Me Too doesn't cover that. And Me Too doesn't cover a, a person like Henry Cavill that, uh, you know, he, he could be the next victim. He could be set up. He could be set up. And there's not going to be any sympathy for him because you already have, you already have people tell, telling him, sit down, shut up. The victim train is afoot. I'm, leave, I'm going to leave it at that. Let me, let me, let me add this thing. Well, you see, in this SJW zeitgeist world, you know, you, you can't offend anybody. But life is offensive. If you haven't realized that, when you get out here, very you're offensive. Your your your, your boss might yell at you. I told you the paper with all the specs needed to be here Tuesday nine a.m. You bring it to me one o'clock on a Tuesday. He's yelling at you. He's upset. <laughs> yes, that happens. That doesn't mean you break down, fall apart, and go. Oh my God, I gotta go to the psychologist. The reason why you gotta go to the psychologist because the system that you came up with, you know. Even my friends, they tell me, hey, Kirk, you know, they, they changed the whole grading system in school. Used to get, you know, A, B, C's, and D's, and, and then it failed. The teacher told you promotion and doubt and all this stuff. It was some negative words put in there. It said everything is positive, even if your kid is failing. You said, what type of situation is that? That's why these kids can't get it. You know, oh, I get you get a one, you get a two, you get a three, you get a four, you get the. He said the whole situation is I can't offend the kid. I can't offend the kid. Your kid may be stupid. Your kid may need extra help. What what the hell is going on, man? <laughs> Parents are telling me this. They said, "What is this, man? You know, when they when when something they get something wrong on their math test, they the teacher writes it from a perspective like, oh, needs more work. No, it's wrong." <laughs> it's wrong. You understand? Go to the resource center. You know, not none of this here. How, how do you get that? Then that kid comes up in that situation. Then it's time to go to work. The boss, who might be a couple of generations older than them, is still underneath the old system. He, he goes there. He yells at you. <laughs> the boss is yelling at you. That's <laughs> what so they do. Uh, cap. You know. Cap. You know. <laughs> you know how we talk about the. I overuse the term zeitgeist. So that's what's going on right now. Every, everything is connected. Go, when you get a chance, check out your DM. I sent you a DM as to the person I was talking about, and you'll, you'll flip because it is interconnected. Okay. <laughs> you check your DM. I just, told you who, I just told you who it is. Okay. I'll get more specific later on. If you see it, it's kind of funny. The privileged. I'll leave it at that. Okay. I got All right. you. Anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, we see that our resident cineast is, is uh, in – in, in Q, uh, Sergio Mims from Chi-Town's finest, Sergio Mims. Uh, we have a couple of things that, that he can bite his teeth into, actually. We, we have the Dolomite Is My Name, which I heard about. This is the Netflix, the forthcoming Netflix project, and I'm assuming it's going to be 
exclusively shown on Netflix, but I also know that some of the stuff that Netflix produces can end up briefly. Uh, and I also know, we spoke about this, that Netflix is trying to have some kind of theater, connection theater franchise deal. They made an attempt at buying a franchise, and it, was, it fell through. So Mark Cuban's, Mark Cuban's theater chain, they were attempting to buy that. Anyway, I didn't necessarily have an interest in the Dolomite story, even though I did hear that Eddie Murphy was attached to it. But then Wesley Snipes' name came up. I said, okay, I got to see. That's the price of admission to see those two mix it up after all the years. Like, have they ever even – I'm surprised they haven't even crossed paths at some point in, in, in some project. So I find it interesting that these two are going to get together. And um, that makes me I, – I mean, I'm into this. And I really, really – now my new addiction, I've said this, you probably realize this. My new addiction is this damn Alamo draft house thing. It's for certain kinds of films. Like this kind of film would be perfect in that setting. That's one thing. And then I think we could speak a little bit more candidly about Sorry to Bother You. This is the wide, wide release week, although I saw it in limited release last week. And I want to talk a little bit more about it. And I think some of our, some of our followers, some of our supporters have also seen this movie, and they don't know what to say. <laughs> the responses are, have been quite funny, that they, they're looking at this thing, and they're saying, what did I just see? And I need to see it again so I get a better idea of what's going on. So I, I, I'm not getting any negatives. It's just kind of a mind-blowing experience. I, I said it was chocolate psychedelica when we did – when I did one of those um, – Video Impressions, which is up and running, the Afronaut Radio YouTube video impressions I did for Sorry to Bother You. So, all right, let, let's, um, let, let's talk a little bit about Dolomite, and then we'll get into the Sorry to Bother You thing. I'm going to bring Sergio Mims, because he's uh, well-equipped to speak on both of these things. Sergio. Hey, how are you doing, guys? I'm pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm about to um, head back for London later this week, for a week, so I'm hyped up for that. And then um, once I get back, there's the Black Harvest Film Festival here in Chicago. Our 24th year is a, I think, a great, you know, we, you know, it takes me a year, you know, among us to put this festival together. One of the films we're showing that I think you'll be interested in is a new documentary called Betty, They Say I'm Different, which is a documentary about Betty Davis. Not the actress. Okay. I'm talking about Miles the black Davis. rock singer. Miles Davis. Right. She was for a while. She was married to Miles Davis. Very oh, interesting yeah. uh, uh, personality. Uh, Music-wise, her album's Nasty Girl. Uh, she was head of the crowd. Of course, the record companies didn't know what to do with her. Uh, she didn't fit the mode of what a black magician is a magic musician singer is supposed to do, and she's been out of the limelight for a long time. So this documentary is very very interesting. Um, but I'll talk about that more maybe next week, you know, to promote the festival and things of that nature. But yeah, let's get to the Dolomite hey, movie. Sergio, you're moving around yeah, so, like a rich person. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're moving around like a rich guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Not hardly. 
I'm on the lamb. But let's talk about Dolomite. <laughs> is my name. Yeah. Um, yeah. I cannot wait to see this picture. Um, I love Rudy Ray Moore. Uh, I mean, I I used to listen to his albums when I was a kid. Back when you would, he would do these LPs where he's naked with naked women undercover, and um, he was outrageous. You know, there was, you know, there's always was in, in black comedy, there's always different dimensions of black comedy. You know, there were, there were like clean comedians, family comedians like Bill Cosby. He wasn't a family guy, you know, <laughs> you know, behind the stage. And then there were uh, the blue comics, the dirty comics, people like Red Fox, uh, Blowfly, um, LaWanda Page, who people may know as, you know, Aunt Esther in on Sanford and Son, but she had a long career, you know, doing blue material. Uh, there was Richard and Riley, the uh, black ventriloquist. And then there was the ultimate, there was Rudy Ray Moore. Nobody was rawer. Nobody was nastier. No one was more, <laughs> you know. Off the wall, then Rudy Ray Moore, and uh, you know at the time he made a couple pictures, extremely low budget films, such as Dolomite and Human Tornado, his two best. Um, he was a character, and um, uh, the the guys who wrote the movie, Larry Kurzinski and Scott Alexander, they wrote that the the uh, mini series for that OJ mini series with um, Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm-hmm. Playing OJ, uh, they wrote uh, the People versus um, the People versus Larry Flint. They specialize in you know taking these oddball characters or dramatic you know gossip stories and making them to films and now miniseries. And this script that they wrote for Dolomite, they wrote over ten years ago, and figuring that nobody would ever want to ever make a movie about Dolomite. Well, finally it got made. Or it's being shot right now. Uh, I don't know when it's premiering on Netflix. It could be the end of the year. Or it could be early next year. But, uh, you know, I can't wait to see this. I, You know, I've been wanting Eddie to make a comeback. And uh, uh, I didn't expect him to make a comeback like this. And then Ressie's nice as Duvel Martin. And he looks just like him. It, oh, wow. Um, I can't wait for this. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't. Well, look, I know of Dolomite, and I always like you. Like you, I, I always saw him in a certain corner somewhere. You know, he was always that yeah. guy that was kind of in the corner doing some really risque stuff. And there were a select few that did that kind of humor. And I'm, I'm thinking of who was the soul singer that was also known for doing risque stuff. Uh, she album covers with her on the toilet. I mean, she's she a little. Oh, Kim you're talking about Jackson. Kid. Jackson, what was her name? Oh. Mini, oh, uh, Millie, Leslie Millie was Jackson. Jackson. Millie Jackson. Millie Jackson, you're right. Millie Jackson. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she was really out there. You had people that just did that kind of thing. And, I mean, folks may be listening to our, to my broadcast, to so our broadcast, and think that, well, what is Afro-Nerd talking about? You know, he's talking about respectability politics. Well, look, in the African-American tradition, I know it's hard to, to tell certain folks that we can pat our heads and rub our stomachs at the same time, in the African-American tradition, there's always been the risque, the rebel. That's, that's always been there. I mean, when you think of sugar in, your, sugar in my bowl, okay, that, 
blues, that blues song. I mean, you know, that's not just literally sugar in my bowl. That's a sexual reference. So, I mean, much, much of rock and roll or race music has a lot to do with being risque, but at least it was done in a way where it was double entendre. You know, it, it, it's up to you to make the determination as to what it is. It, it could go for a number of things. That was the tradition. Now we're like full-blown now. Now it's, it's full-blown yeah. X-rated. You know, there's no, no, no hint of being somewhat clever. You know, back in the days, you know, even um, a Tutti Frutti was definitely a, a kind of a risque song. Most of black early rock and roll, black music had a lot of risque. It's when the Motown period came along that it was very, um, you know, very vanilla, so to speak. But real black music but was also- pretty, pretty rugged. And also, you have to understand that what we're talking, what we're talking about back then, there was real creativity in it, in uh, what these people were doing back then. I mean, if you listen to Rudy Ray Moore, his use of language is amazing when he talks about pimps and hookers, and he goes on. I mean, sometimes I swear to God, it's almost Shakespearean. There was real creativity in what they did. You listen to stuff today, there's no creativity behind it. It's just, you know, whatever. And uh, and as a result, it's not good. It's boring. And if they're going for any kind of shock value, there is no shock value. And just so the audience understands that, you know, I I was trying to remember the, the singers. There have been several singers. I mean, it's a Betsy Smith song. But even Nina Simone is covered. I mean, everyone is covered. It's like it's pretty much a blue staple, sugar in my bowl. But uh, I, that's just kind of a, a mild example. But Rudy Ray Moore, uh, I thought I thought he was um, interviewed by Arsenio Hall in the early '90s, and you had you had said on Twitter because I looked it up right away that there may be some questions about uh, Rudy Ray Moore's sexuality that his manager alluded to his sexuality, although, you know, to the public, he was just kind of rambunctious, hypersexual, like you said, his, his album covers had naked women on there, but behind the scenes, it might have been something else, uh, you, you were wondering if Eddie is going to touch that, I don't know, because that's not really, a, it, it's so hidden, like his, his manager really wasn't, didn't know about that, I mean, it was, it was kind of discovered after his death, it, it's uh, not really a confirmed thing. Regarding regarding more sexuality, being bisexual or whatever, or, or uh, well, you know, gay the, the amazing thing is that um, years ago someone told me that, and I was like, "Oh, get out of here, Rudy Ray Moore, come on!" And then I heard other people, and someone else confirmed it to me, and then I heard what the manager said, you know. So I said, "Wow, it really was true." But here's the thing: um, uh, when I tell it to other people, they don't believe it. Because it's like he played the role of the pimp, of the ultimate ladies' man. I mean, he looked nothing like a ladies' man. But the image he created, that he was just a sex machine, was so convincing, you know, that you know you couldn't believe that Rudy Ray Moore swung the other way. And the other thing, too, is that if the movie, knowing Larry Krasinski and Skyler Alexander and their previous work, 
they like to deal with the secrets, you know, the hidden, the other lives, the hidden lives of the people they write about. So I, I would be surprised if the movie does not deal with that. Now, considering it's Eddie Murphy, uh, <laughs> is Eddie well, Murphy going to do any gazing? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's kind of hard to imagine. But you don't know. He's older I'm, now. You know, he's a different person. Who knows? Yeah, but that's that's. I also like imitating art in his case, isn't it? But hey, I don't I don't know what's going yeah. on there either. You know, he, he has plenty <laughs> of children. You know, he's got a, a a girlfriend. You know, who who had his child re, child recently. Uh, he keeps on yeah. having baby. So even though he still never explained that stuff. deal with him and the transvestite in the car, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he, neither neither did Teddy Pendergrass. Neither did Teddy well, Pendergrass. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, well, you know, there were all kinds of I mean, rumors about what really went on. Yeah, we won't go into that oh, there. I mean, look, right. look I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to explore something that is really not publicly known. Uh, but I, I, when you look at the, the list of folks that are involved with this thing, you know, we have Eddie, we have Wesley Snipes, we have Mike Epps, we have Craig Robertson, right. even Tip, Tip T.I., you know, for the rap artist, who seems to be being able to leech on to anything. From Ant-Man to Dolomite is a pretty, pretty good pretty good uh, run right there. And then you have um, uh, Keegan-Michael Key of Key and Peel. So That's right. Yes. Um, the talent is there. So I, I'm very curious. But I, uh, do you think it – look, Netflix has its own cachet now, so I really shouldn't be so complaining about it being on Netflix. I really love Netflix, but I really would have preferred to see this in the, in the theater. I really would have. I would too. Even though it, it's it it, it it this film has to be released in the theaters first. You know when you have that kind of star power, when you have those, when you have that kind of cast, and you're not going to release it theatrically first, that's insane. Well, like uh, like I said before, even this whole Alamo Drafthouse thing, you do have theaters that are that are geared for limited release. So why not? I mean, I, look, I don't know. Wasn't uh, Mudbound in a similar situation where it was out Yeah, Mudbound was released in about 20 theaters. It didn't get a huge release. The other thing, too, about Netflix is that Netflix has now – Netflix has the cachet of being the place for B-movies. What they make now are B-movies. Like, I've seen some of those Netflix movies, and, yeah, they're most of the ones I've seen, with the exception of Mudbound, those I've seen, you said, nah, I have this place better on TV, on cable, or, you know, watching on a computer. It, it doesn't have that extra thing, that extra bump that will make it, like, worthy of theatrical release. This film does. Dolomite does, you know? And, I mean, they should really release this film wide. Not a 20 theater or 20 screen release. This should play like in a thousand, fifteen hundred theaters at least. With this kind of power, you tell me people will not come to the theater to see Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes together in the movie. Even these millennials, even they never heard of Rudy Ray Moore. You think they wouldn't come out to see this picture? You would think. It, well, look, if it if it's presented a certain way, I, I don't know what the deal is with. Sorry to bother you. I hope that's getting some traction. I mean, I'm hearing so many people really, really telling the public you need to see this film. And to me, it's in the same same bailiwick. You need to kind of get these people 
The word's got to get out. It's got to become a viral thing for people to know. You know what? Well, this film I, you might want to make we'll, we'll get into that because I got the box over results for how it did this weekend. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. All right. Well, you know what? Let, let's let's um, well, let's just move forward. Actually, let, let's get into that uh, again yeah. to the listening audience. We're, we're going to keep our eye for Dolomite. It, I, at first, I wasn't excited about it. Honestly, I didn't know what to think about it because Eddie Murphy has had a string of some losers. But then he and Wesley together, I've never seen that. So now all of a sudden I feel a little bit more energized about this thing. So I, I definitely want to see it. Oh, right, by so the way, the- by the way, I have some sure. trivia. Uh, actually, Reggie Hudlin was responsible for Wesley's knife getting the role. He suggested to the producers that they ought to get Wesley for that part. And they did. That's what Reggie told me. He told me that a few days ago. The martial arts aspect. <laughs> well, uh, yes, it's a good look. It, it is a definitely a good look. So, I mean, uh, if it if it turns out to be a turnaround for both these gentlemen, I, I would be very excited. There's no reason they're definitely uh, talented enough to get things going, but it's got to be the right vehicle, and they got to put themselves yeah. in a certain kind of they got to put themselves in a certain in, in certain kind of vehicle to kind of get popping again, you know. So. Uh, I think enough time has passed where I, I think people need to kind of see these people back at it. Uh, I don't, some of the and stuff can I, I add one, one last thing? I can add, I can add one last thing. Eddie Murphy's a really good actor. He doesn't get enough credit, but he's a really good actor. If you've seen him, you saw him in Life. Of course, there's Dream Girls. Uh, even if you look at Nutty Professor, which yep. technically is one of the most brilliant acting jobs because he's playing all these different characters in the same frame, which had to be shot separately. So he had to not only embellish that, be that character, but also interact with people who are not there and make it look Mm -hmm. seamless. That's a really extraordinary role. Even Roger Ebert said that's one of the greatest acting performances he's ever seen in a movie. Well, you know what? Uh, I think he did a very good job of 48 Hours, which is like his, his first role. Where he didn't yeah. really, you really didn't know what he was going to bring to it because we knew him, we knew him straight from SNL, and he was still Eddie Murphy, and yet he was still able to kind of do the role. I, I, I thought, and that for, that for that kind of film was definitely like a real. It wasn't wholesale comedy, Forty Eight Hours. The, the second, the, the sequel was horrible, but the yeah, first Forty Eight yeah. Hours I thought was was really like the the, the way he was in that in that. Uh, that, that Western bar and cracking wise with, with, with racists and that kind of thing. There's a lot of things that were going on in that movie that were pretty interesting, you know. So. Yeah, it's amazing because he was not even the first choice in that movie. He was like the fourth or fifth choice for that role, believe it or not. Wasn't was Stallone offered that role or something, some, some really Hollywood happy At one time was Stallone. At one time was Stallone, but originally they wanted uh, Gregory Hines. And either he couldn't do it or he turned it down. Then, believe it or not, they went to Bill Cosby, and oh, he turned I it would, down. Well, I don't think so. And but now, and it what? wasn't. I can't and, say that. But Bill Cosby could have pulled it off. Then he would have pulled it off. Yeah, but it would have been a different movie, though. Different movie. It would have been different. Oh yeah, it would have been an entirely different movie, right? Um. So he was not even the first choice, you know. And and believe it or not, when he offered it the role, when he offered the role to Eddie Murphy, he thought they were offering him a small supporting role. He didn't know they were offering him the co-starring lead part in the movie. 
and our first. So what you saw in that movie is a hungry guy. You saw a guy who said, I got to make my mark in this film, or else after this, I'll just be forgotten again. I'll just be stuck on Saturday Night Live. I think the same thing is going on with Dolomite. He's been, you know, he has, he's been around for a couple of years. You know, he's done last few films with stinkers. His last movie, A Thousand, a Thousand Words, wasn't even released by uh, DreamWorks. Wasn't even released because it was so bad. So I think Eddie is, is, I think Murphy really wants to prove himself that I still got it. What what was that movie? Maybe it's on Netflix. What was that movie he did where he played this uh, kind of like a, uh, uh, I want to call it like a like a butler almost. He's like a yeah. I know. I forgot the name like of the a, movie like that came and went. It barely got released. Right. Barely got released. Like, right. He was, like a, he was like he was like a leased out cook or something between families and yeah, and, something and, uh, like that. I know the movie you're talking about. I just can't remember the name of it. It just came and went. The woman was dying or something like that. It was. It, it, I just yeah. didn't like. Oh, Mr. Church, Mr. Church. Yeah, it's lucky for that's him people didn't see it. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. like that. Lucky for him people didn't see I didn't it. like. I didn't like that subservient position for him. I was like, okay, Eddie, you you. That's the only thing about Eddie Murphy that, that kind of concerns me. That he doesn't. He's not really as aware of to uh, as to where people are. You know, like where we are culturally. So, sometimes I get that vibe that he's he lived he's lived such a closed life. He's almost like Prince. Well, those, and those two, those two, and he was a big Prince fan, that much I know. And, and I knew of Eddie Murphy locally when he was on Long Island, and I and I knew of his demeanor when he when he was a younger guy to where he when he made the transition, whatever whatever the transition is, <laughs> whatever the transition is. I was I was leaving at that. But when he, when he was a young, hungry guy in Freeport and Roosevelt, he was a different type of dude going to local parties. He was dating a girl, uh, Lisa Figueroa, who was a student at Adelphi University here in Long Island. There's you know, I remember what she looked like. I remember her. I remember she what fine. she looked like, yeah. She was fine. Uh, yeah, everything, she was fine. Everything, yeah. everything for this guy, because this was, this was a guy that literally when he got the gig, at SNL. So this is some of the stuff I know because of because of being a local person. Local stories I heard about Eddie Murphy. Um, he was he when when Public Enemy was just coming around. When a lot because these are Roosevelt guys, the Favorite Flav, all those guys knew each other. When they were still performing parties at Hofstra University, not Adelphi, all these all these universities are, are very close. But and I know Kirk knows about this stuff. When. Uh, when they were local college parties and Eddie Murphy was a younger dude, he would just roll in to a local party and, the, 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 you know, the, the DJ would say, hey, Eddie Murphy's in the house. This is when he was still at SNL. Mm-hmm. He was still a local dude. This guy had a game. At that time, he was making maybe seven or eight grand a, a week. Seven or eight grand a week at SNL. And he had a, a Datsun 280Z, which was a hot car at the moment, and he had a Porsche 928, and he used to he used to speed down the blocks of Freeport with the windows blaring uh, with blaring 1999. So he was definitely a Prince <laughs> fan, but he was still but he was still a local tangible dude. Once he got that 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 mansion in Jersey, Bubble Hill, that's when everything went left. I'll just say that I know a number of stories 
about Eddie Murphy. Just by being just, just being local. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what happened? I've heard stories about him, too. We all have. And, you know, he got caught up in that Hollywood thing. All of a sudden, he had an entourage of people who he really didn't know. He got chewed up by the studio system, agents and managers, you know, who were, didn't care about what he was doing as long as he got a big payday and then they got their cut, their percentage. Um, he got, you know, he got burnt out and chewed up and finally realized, you know, maybe too late that, um, I just need to step back. I got to get out of here. You know, I mean, you look at, uh, this may not see, this may not see the same, but look at Dwayne Johnson. Uh, the, what's this movie called? The uh, skyscraper It's tanking. Right. You know, this guy has yeah. come with four movies in the last seven months. Four movies in the last seven months. That's too much. People are sick of him. And he's doing the same damn movie over and over again. Now, sometimes they click, like Jumanji did a billion dollars worldwide. But, you know, it's just like, enough. You know, once again, here's this guy. I remember used to see him all the time on WWE. He used to crack me up. He starts making some movies. And then he gets, like a lot of people, he gets chewed up, agents, managers, entourage, make that money, make that money. He doesn't have any, you know, he's told what to make. Does he actually read the scripts that he makes? You know, wait a minute, Rampage? Wait a minute, isn't this just like Jumanji you just came out with? You know, Skyscraper? Is this like a ripoff of Die Hard, but it's all CGI? That's not interesting uh you know and it's you know now you know now it's a little bit in trouble his career that is he decides to run for president in 2020 <laughs> well look we'll see strange strange we'll things see. have happened but let's let's take a quick groove i want to hold i want to keep you on hold Serge, because i want you to, to come back we're going to talk about this sorry to bother you with a little bit more yeah i gotta talk uh, to you about it too right uh, more, more in-depth discussion on that. The audience is welcome to come in. Again, the call-in number is 646-915-9 I hope he calls in. All right. Yeah, he's on, he's on hold, too, so I'm, I'm expecting to get okay, his yeah. as well. I want to talk six, to him six, about six, it. Okay. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. We're going to take a quick break, two minutes. We'll be back. We're going to talk more about Sorry to Bother You. This is Joel Culpepper, women. Not women, woman, woman. Uh, we'll be right back, folks. Let's groove. Just got paid, but the man needs to give me a raise. Need to work, cause if I don't, I'm gonna hurt. Lost my mind. My baby trying to find Some dollars I need to provide For my woman For my woman For my Oh, my. 
you hear me when I say Feel like I'm flying And nothing's gonna get in my way Get the hell off my back The system's trying to keep a man trapped As long as my baby's here I'm gonna leave no fear For my Okay, that groove was so nice, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to let it ride. That was Joel Culpepper, woman, woman. All right, people, we're back. Uh, the gang is all here. We have Chi-Town's finest, Sergio Mims. And uh, let's get into this deal. I mentioned it last week. There's even a video impressions of yours truly where I'm talking about it in a kind of sort of vague way because I saw it in limited release at Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. And we're talking about Boots Riley's first directorial efforts, his debut, Sorry to Bother You, and the, the trailer was already engaging. I was pretty much already sold on this thing just by the fact that it was a unique trailer already giving you that psychedelic vibe. And again, this is, this is post the Black Panther, so I'm already in a certain mood to see. I think many of us are already in a certain mood to see black folks in a different kind of setting. So normally you're allowed to see uh, white, white, um, white actors and actresses in these stoner films. They're allowed to be stoners. They're allowed to be, not that stoners, being a stoner is the greatest thing, but they're allowed to have an expanded kind of psychedelic view, viewpoint on, on film. We, we rarely see black folks in this kind of setting. There are, there are plenty of black people that lived this way, kind of in a psychedelic, manic way. Uh, Afropunk is full of them. Okay, I'm going there next month. Daryl's going to be there next month. So I see these people in my face. We'll probably be doing some video run there next month. Got to do it now. Now I'm kind of hooked on this video thing. So uh, 
this Sorry to Bother You is really based on the album of the same name. Sorry to Bother You, going back five or six years ago by The Coup. The Coup is Boots Riley's hip-hop band. And they're a West Coast band. I remember this group. I might even have a CD or two of them. So I've been buying music for a long time, so I've always been looking out for alternative music but for a long time. And I, I came across them, but honestly, because there's so many at that time when hip-hop was, was, was allowed to be eclectic, you had Digital Underground. You had Public Enemy. You had X-Clan. Um, you had Arrested Development. There are a lot of cats out there, and I think the cool kind of got lost in that mix. But I remember him. So anyway, Boots Roddy comes along with this with this this movie now, and I saw the trailer. I didn't know what to expect per se. I knew it was gonna be a psychedelic ride, but it touches on so many things. And I have to reemphasize, and I'm gonna pass the mic around. And I see that our friend uh, Q Storm has arrived. The thing for me that probably set me in the right mood for this movie was having seen it at the Alamo. Because when I did, they showed me Norma Ray, uh, well, clips of Norma Ray, um, Sally Field's effort. We, I partly swoke, for Christ's sake, directed by uh, Iron Man's father, <laughs> Robert Downey Sr., which, is, which also touches on a lot of the themes of Sorry to Bother You. So when I... I, 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 was, I wasn't around for, for uh, Putney Swope, but uh, I've always seen it in VHS or something to that effect. So to, to see Putney Swope on the large screen, I was like, whoa. So I was already like in heaven practically to see these old films in that kind of setting. So when I saw the film, so many different films came to my mind. I thought it was a little bit of Purple Rain. If you remember Purple Rain, Prince performing with, with, in a kind of a punk rock, Midwestern, uh, First Avenue kind of thing, the, the, famed, uh, the famed club. All this stuff was going, I, I thought, when I saw that movie, I thought it was bizarre. So this gave me the same feeling. And when I left, the same way that Black Panther stuck with me, like a few days, even to the present, it sticks, it sticks with you for me. I can't say everybody else. Sorry to bother you, stuck with me as a viewer after the filming. We're going to get into it more deeply. So let me go around the horn. Let, let, me, let me go to Q-Storm, then I'm going to go back to, uh, to, to, to Sergio. I want to hear, I want to hear Q-Storm's opinion on this. Q-Storm, Red, Red Shirts Podcast, hey. and of course the uh, Prince Podcast, podcastjuice.net. What's up, man? Hey, so I saw this thing just last night, so it's it's still rather fresh in my head. And, um, wow. Um, This film, to me, it reminded me of two other experiences I've had with something that I wasn't sure how to feel about it. The first one was listening to Prince's Love Sexy album. Hmm. I was like, I don't know what that was, but I want more of it. (laughs) The second thing, I, I walk out of the theater kind of feeling the same way I felt when I saw um, the cook, the thief, the wife, and her lover. I was like, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen, but it was, it's doing something to me. <laughs> and I find myself the next day, today, like when I walked out of the theater, I was in my mind to give it 
three reels, maybe three and a half reels out of five. And now that I've, I, it's still in my head, I got to go four reels, maybe four and a half reels out of five. Um, this film is so bizarre and it's so brilliantly bizarre and it's very weird. And I walked into this theater with no expectations. I had no idea what to expect. And I find that genuinely the films that stay with me are the films that I walk into the theater not having any idea. And whether they're weird or avant-garde, those are the best experiences I, I tend to have with films. They tend to stay with me, and such is the case with this film. I don't know what's going on with this black renaissance of young filmmakers, but it th- tells me that there's hopeful millennial, millennial black filmmakers. Um, I lo- this, this film, the satire of this film, I said it in, on Twitter. I mean, I would put this film right up there next to Jonathan Swift. And there are certain elements, which I'm not going to spoil, that I think are maybe actually shout-outs directly to Bulliver's Travel towards the end of the film. Um, I thought everyone in this film, the main characters, the, the actors were extremely brave in all the things that they did. Uh, it, so many levels on this film. Now, the one pro- I, didn't, I wouldn't say it's a problem. I'm not going to fault them. But the film works so well, kind of being quasi-colorblind. Now, they did the whole thing with the white voice, but I think even white folks get that. <laughs> but there's a scene where um, the main character, uh, Cassius, is called to do something stereotypical for the amusement oh, yeah. of the, the establishment. And I the thought, corporate you know, overlord. I see what you yeah, I, I said, I see why you're doing that. I get it. And I'm not mad at you, but it's, you could have left that out. And it would have had the same uh, overtone. It would have had... I'm sorry to interrupt you. What's that? I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. This was my next film. Um, I, I was disturbed by that. You know, I got that RP thing going on. I think we both have a little bit of it. So when I'm looking, uh, did, he, did he have to do that? And, you know, it, it bothered me. But then when I thought through it, I mean, this is my opinion, Q. When I thought through it, uh-huh. I said, you know, it has, to be, it has to be that way because that's exactly what hip-hop, hip-hop, hip-hop artists are doing. Like the fact that uh, he was supposed to do, do something that was stereotypical, that they thought, well, all you black guys could do that. And he said, no, I can't do that. But they kept, the pressure was on. So if you, uh-huh. if, if you are a rap, a rap artist, and the corporation puts that pressure on you, that you're gonna come up with something like mumble rap, which, which, and and all you're really doing is reciting expletives over and over again. At least one expletive, and people know what I'm talking about. One expletive all over and over and over again, and that is the hit. And I think it was so vulgar and so visceral. At the first, my first reaction was, I don't like that. I don't like how that makes me feel. But I think it's necessary because that's exactly what's going on. It is that biting. Well, this is my opinion. You know, like I said, it wasn't a, it wasn't a deal breaker for me. But I thought the film, one of the things that up to that point I thought was so brilliant about the film was that even though you had, of course, you had black versus white elements, and, and they they had here, here's here's the point I'll say. I don't know, I'm not going to give it away, but there's an interracial budding relationship. It's a subplot which really doesn't go anywhere, but I applauded them for not making note of the the difference in races between the two people who hook up. 
And so the fact that they kept that colorblind, and, and to me it stayed more on a, on a satire of social strata and selling out, I felt, ah, well, see, now you're going to the low-hanging fruit with that scene. But it didn't really – I'm not going to say it was a deal-breaker. Like I said, I get what he was saying. It was totally legitimate. But I thought the film was smarter than having to rely on let's make fun of that. Let's, let's, let's uh, shine a light on that because, you know, we get it. You know, you, you, had, me, you had me before then. But um, the ending of this film totally, to me, was very District 9 uh, and it just was so out of left field. It, I can't help but admire this young filmmaker. I can't wait for his next film to come out. So, yeah, for me, four reels out of five. And, and, and just out of respect, you know, Boots Riley is not a millennial. He's Generation X. So that might be... Oh, really? X. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boots Riley's been around since the 93. I that thought he group. was a young kid. Yeah, he's been around for a minute. Boots, Boots Riley is almost 50. Wow. So okay. So <laughs> you, you you continue so, to school me. First, first it was Tim Particles, now it's this. Okay. <laughs> now he's been around. Like like I said, he was around when Arrested Development was around. The coup. The coup's huh. been around for a minute. And uh, they they both. And matter oh, of fact, music. well, you, I'm pre- I'm pretty sure you peeped this out with the Prince Prince connection. Uh, Pam Defunctress. It was part of the coup. And is also Prince's DJ, and she is passed also. She she died at around fifty something, so uh, she died uh, I think a year ago or something. And during the closing credits, it mentions you know posthumously giving her a shout out. Uh, Pam the Funkstress. Can I say one other Go thing ahead. real quick? I wanted to yeah sure sure. At sure, no point this film, at no point did it let go of you. At no point were you made to feel comfortable, even when he walks into. The sales office, the the, the, the saturated blue colors, uh, just out of nowhere, just very, the lighting made you uncomfortable. The soundtrack it was so, I can't I can't curse, damn it. <laughs> the soundtrack was so freaking weird, it was brilliant. Whoever did the who did that music, I gotta go get their album, man. That the weird theremin, almost theremin like music. Amazing. Just it kept you even his house being on that hill, I guess it was I don't know if it's San Francisco or not, but even the house being on that hill, being again the street being off kilter. Everything about this film was off kilter. Plus, we got Tessa Thompson full frontal. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this movie I, those, I those to, lead I actors were these, these, the actors in this movie were extremely brave, and I applaud them for what they did in this film. Look, I I can't help but be me. I like that outfit she had on. <laughs> I'm sorry, that outfit was sexy. I know you can't say it. I said it. I'm going to take the hit. It is what it is. That I oh, I got to see the game. It's <laughs> just because of that outfit. I'm going to keep it 100 for me, for me. Anyway. Let me bring Sergio. I thought Sergio was coughing a little bit. I had to pipe down his mic. So, Serge, your impressions, I'm sorry to bother you. Well, it wasn't really full frontal. I mean, she was just strategically covered. Uh, you know, that was yeah, back enough yeah. <laughs> you know, um, me. I don't need You know, I'm, I'm sure that Janelle Monet liked that, loved that scene. I'm sure of that. Oh, but, okay. um, 
I see, I see. I'm still not. I'm still not buying her. I don't know. We'll get into that. But the thing you about a, it is that you have that, a bugaboo about Tessa, man. You have a bugaboo about her. Yeah, I what do. I, I, I do. I don't know what it is. There's some people who you like, and there's some people who you go like. I don't get what the deal is. Okay. Wait a minute. That's She's it for been... me with her. I don't get what the deal is. You know. Right. You know, I like Janelle Monae in movies. I think she's a really good actress. You know? Yes, she is. I think she's very interesting. I'd like to see her in more movies. Tessa Thompson, I'm like, oh. But anyway, it, you know, let me, let, let, me, let me say a couple things. First of all, I agree with all of you. This is a movie you have to see more than once. Okay? I, you know, I saw it with a friend of mine, and I, we saw the screening like three weeks ago or something. And when we were finished, we looked at each other and we go like, wow, I think we're going to have to see that again. And folks, <laughs> don't leave before the end credits. Don't leave before the, don't leave before the end credits are over. Don't leave when they start, okay? Because something happens. You know, they're inspired by Marvel. There's a mid credit sequence. Number two, uh... There has, and I'm trying to think, there has never been a black film like this before. I can't think of one. So, uh, literally, I can't think of one. So, that's a hell of a lot of things in its favor. I got issues with it. I just think that that it, it's, it's very much a first-time movie director's film in that he tries to stuff so many ideas, so many themes, so many concepts into one movie. You could take half that stuff and still make a movie out of it. That they're all fighting with each other, and at times there's no coherency to it. Coherent. Now you may say that was going for. He was going for incoherency, but he's trying to go through so many things, like the rapping scene and the, using the fake voice, and how corporate corporations, you know, take advantage of the working class, and and uh, you know, strikes and all that stuff. He has so many ideas. I'm like, wow, you know, I, I can't keep up with it. And as a result, I thought. The the narrative drive goes slack. There are times when this movie I saw just dragged to me. And I said, you know, this movie could have been better with 10 minutes shorter, 15 minutes shorter, would have been tighter. Um, uh, that scene in the art gallery, I didn't understand that scene. I, 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 understand, I didn't understand the reason for it. Um, you guys liked it. I was like, I, what's the point? You know, even... Stanfield's character in, in the end of that scene goes like, what's going on here? I don't understand it. Right, I didn't either. Um, it's ambitious. It's, it's, um, it's, in some ways, it's groundbreaking, particularly in black cinema. It's a film you definitely have to see more than once. Uh, it's doing okay at the box office. It still doesn't have a big release. It's only playing now in like 700 theaters. Um, but it's doing well. I hope, let's see, I hope that this is going to become a hip white thing. I hope black people will come out and see this picture. Uh, now, Q-Storm, when you saw it, how many black people were in the audience? Uh, I tweeted this initially. Uh, I was the only one. Then a woman, a black woman, came in with a white man. 
then the movie started, and five, five minutes later, two sisters came in late. You know how we do. Um, so it was one, two, three, four. Four. Out of maybe see, 30. Okay, now, uh, Debert, uh, how many black people in the audience when you saw it? Wow, you know what? Uh, hmm. Not that many. And that, you know, again, this is uh, Tony I, downtown. This is Tony downtown Brooklyn. So you know that area alone, all you see is is uh, jogging white folks with uh, miniature pinchers and that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm gonna be keeping one. Uh, can, can I can I jump in real quick, Sergio, before you finish? Because yeah. you, you're bringing up a point here, and I have to get on my soapbox for a second. All these Negroes out here who are saying, oh, Atlanta is so groundbreaking. Atlanta is so different. Oh, we need more Atlantis. I hope they sweep the Emmys. Why aren't your black asses going to see this movie? Well, Why aren't you, you going know, to see this movie? Now, uh, now, when I saw it, now, I saw it at advanced screening. Now, first of all, I don't know about New York, but they were pre-screening this film to death in Chicago. Uh, there were at least four event screenings, maybe five, four event screenings uh, before the movie opened, right? Same with Blind Spotting, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. They're screening, the, they pre-screening the film to death. Now, at the screening I was at, it was mainly black. It was mainly black. Um, I would say it was about, the, the house was about half full, and it was, I would say, about two thirds black. Now, maybe, maybe because it was a black, it was a free screening, or who they distributed the tickets to. You know, I was invited by the PR firm. You know, so um, uh, it was a different for uh, for me. Audience reaction to the movie was like mine. Everybody was like, "Wow, that's really weird. I got to see it again." Now. Going back to Q-Stone's point, okay, folks, you know, you okay, you saw Black Panther. You think you're hip now. You think you're all with it now. Why don't you come out and see this picture and support it, right? Hey, I don't hear very Spice Brothers haven't written anything about this movie. <laughs> They've written. They've, they they had they had like they had like ten articles about Black Panther reluctantly because they were forced to do it because I guess they felt that gee I guess we got to write something about Black people interested in this picture. There has not been one article about Sorry to Bother You, not one. Right, <clears throat> you know. Um, so come on, folks. Let's support this movie. It's doing well at the box office. Um, I don't have the breakdown of, you know, the demographics of who's going to see the picture. But um, you say you want something different? You know, just don't go see Black Panther and say, no, I've done my, done my bit for, black, for blackness. You know, come on, support this film. Well, well, let me say something on that because I think that's what's really going on, unfortunately. You have people that are going to be late to the party. We've been talking about, and Q-Stone can be uh, my witness, we've been talking about a number of things going on, including the importance of Black Panther. Hell, uh, Q-Stone filmed us on stage a few years ago at the Schomburg talking about Black Panther, and I had said it back then. I had said that it, this is an Afropunk thing, not a hip-hop thing, all this kind of stuff that I had, uh, that I had laid out 
and then the people who think they're hip, I'm not going to say who, but you can gather what I'm talking about, uh, Q-Storm. Uh, the, people that think it, the people that are twisting it, people that are t- twisting in their chairs, all these people that are that, that, that they're in the industry, they're deeper in the industry than, than yours truly, and yet they still don't know what's going on on the streets. They still don't get the zeitgeist. Afropunk goes on every year. Uh, uh, Sergio, since I've known him, has been talking about this, this film festival out of Chicago. I didn't get a chance to check your email, Sergio, but you mentioned in, a, uh, in an interview that this is like the, one of the largest largest festivals with the amount of films, like the amount of, the amount of fresh product coming out right now that's actually interesting and introspective. I mean, if you're going to keep it 100, sorry to bother you, it's the tip of the iceberg about what's really going on. But the mainstream Can I interject this? Even, well, one quick thing. Even when, even when Boots Riley was interviewed on The Breakfast Club, they don't know how to interview this guy. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> oh, they, you know, every, it's always like a, when, when, the, when the real freaky people come through, they have this whole thing about they don't do the research. They don't know who he is. It's like, oh, you, you, we hear about this thing. It's, it's like an off-the-cuff kind of thing as opposed to like, yo, this is a new thing coming. You're too busy, too busy concerned about uh, the Migos and all these, these these nobodies. It is what it is. Go ahead, um, go ahead, Cat. All right, I'm gonna say this and get out of here. Uh, this is from Sean Christopher. This is a tweet. He says, "Tell them the movie is shown in boutique theaters like Bethesda and Maryland and Chevy Chase, Bethesda. DC. Bethesda. Yeah, Bethesda, Bethesda. Okay." DC. It isn't in black areas. Only two blacks in my theater. Now, as Sergio just said, I, I believe it was Sergio, he said it's only in like 700 theaters. So right. I guess at this given point, if black people want to see it, they're going to have to travel a little bit. That's all. Well, yeah, you said, you have to understand, because this film is so unusual, you can't open in 3,000 theaters. Uh, this is a movie where it's it's they're really banking on word of mouth and getting the word out there. Oh my God, have I, I saw this picture? You will not believe it. You got to go see it now. In Chicago, it is playing in some black neighborhoods and in theaters in black neighborhoods and downtown. You know, uh, but but um, uh, they're they're saying this this film is not going to get a Black Panther release. Okay, we know that. You know, at most, it's never going to play more than 1,500, 2,000 theaters, uh, screens, at the most, right? Uh, they know this is, there are some people who are going to reject this picture. There are some people who are not going to see it because it's not what they want to go see in a movie, right? Unfortunately, a lot of those people happen to be black people. They're ready to go see Uncle Drew, then see this. Okay, I can't help them. See? We can't help see? them. <laughs> but you know, see? if but all you people out there who are talking about you want to see something different on the screen. You ta- look. Nobody saw Black. Pan- not Black Panther. I'm sorry. Nobody saw uh, Superfly because everybody was tired of it. You know, nobody wants to see that crap anymore. So here's your answer. Here's your thing. Come out and see it. I will tell you this. At the rate it's going, it will outgrow Superfly. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I just it'll uh, outgrow Superfly uh, for sure. 
Q-Storm, go ahead. Q-Storm. Two things real quick. You know, Sergio just brought up uh, the trailer Uncle Drew. In the, in the showing that I saw, I saw two trailers featuring Tiffany Haddish. And I said, something's not right oh, about geez. that. Uh, the one with Kevin Hart, Night School, and then another one. The one oh, with, it's, a, with, it's, a with, Tyler, it's a Tyler Perry movie coming yeah, Tyler out. Tyler Perry uh, movie, yeah, right. Yeah. What's her name? Tika Sumter and uh, Tika Yeah, Kimmich. right. But yeah. Uh, this, this question, I I'm, I don't know, Sergio, if you're if you do the political thing. I know Ebert does. Now, I don't know if any of you re- were made to read Gulliver's Travels in high school or college, but I wanted to ask Ebert, do you think? Uh, and I'm not going to spoil anything, even by saying the name of the, the the people at the end of the film. But do you think those people were a shout out to, and I'll say the Weenums of uh, Gulliver's Travels, or do you think it was a slight dig at black folks who who uh, are are loyal to the Democratic Party? You know the uh, I, who are well, I I, I, I conified by uh, jackasses or. Donkey. Well, but, but, between between the movies and the book, uh, it's been such a long time since I, I since I remember all of the minutia of Gulliver's Travels. Um, I know that uh, the only thing I can remember is the word that words that I use in in common language is uh, Brobdignagian and Lilliputian. <laughs> Those are the only two things I remember from that from that book. But uh, I'm gonna go. I I heard you mentioning that before. I think on Twitter somewhere. So I'm going to research it. I, I thought that it was more about um, just black men as war- workhorses or, or likening, the, I guess, the proletariat, because there's a lot of allusions to uh, the worker class and the, the, the you know, there's a lot of a lot of allusions to socialism versus corporate the corporate structure and and uh, Marxism. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. But as far as, and also biogenetics and making breeding a better worker, and I mean, you could really go into this thing, you know, uh, GMOs. Yeah, and well, all Boots, that stuff. well, Boots Riley says he's a socialist. He says he is a socialist. You know, I read an interview with him not too long ago, where he says he's an unabashed socialist. So yeah, a lot of his leftist politics. A lot of his, let's just say leftists, a lot of his politics, particularly the exploitation of the working class, is in this movie. As I said, this movie covers a lot of ground. A lot of covers a lot of ground. I mean, I'm going to revisit all of like, Go ahead, um, Q. I'm just going to ask, is he a socialist or in the pure sense of the form, or is he a democratic socialist? No, he is a socialist with a capital S. Okay. I, I think even I think the I'm going by the interview. I think even the democratic socialism turn is just a front. <laughs> I think those people are straight up socialists. I think they just want to be able. They know they're not going to get traction that way. You know. Yeah. Well, not socialists like you are conservative. You call yourself a Republican, but you're a social right. conservative. I don't think you espouse a lot of the Republican ideology in terms of a lot of their platform. I think you're anti. You know, you believe in the uh, Second Amendment, but you think there should be gun control. You know. <gasps> yeah, and definitely. I, but I also think I, I'm in. I'm. I'm a moderate conservative. You know, uh, I, I, if any, sometimes I may lean towards being a libertarian in the sense that leave people alone to their own devices. Part of me feels that way. Trumpism is something completely different. Trumpism is 
going to the bathroom and seeing what comes out. <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> I'm stealing that. I'm so stealing that. I'm so stealing that. I mean, look, the, the, um, the Brits, the, the Brits got it right. I'm not gonna go. To, you know, you got me into the politics thing. I'm not gonna go that deep into it. But the Brits got it right. They, while he visits their country, they have this big ass <laughs> balloon floating above. Uh, the President of the United States in diapers as a baby, and they're going to even tour that float. Around globally, I believe they're going to go on tour with that float to even get to even get more into that guy's behind. And he was well, wearing pants. Came out so, my, my, so I was right on that. He's collecting something. Go ahead. Well, the Sunday, the Sunday London Times reported today, reported today that the royal family didn't want to meet him. Prince Harry, Prince, well, who's the other prince? Prince Harry and Prince uh, Edward. Uh, they they said they had no interest in meeting him. Uh, they just said, forget it. Grandma, you're stuck there. you got to deal with him. And someone else pointed out, Obama met the queen four times while he was president. And every time there was a state dinner, uh, Queen Elizabeth had a 15-minute tea with Trump and his wife. That was wow. it. <laughs> that was it. That was all. Now, uh, I want to say, don't forget some other black films which are coming out. Well, one is not, you would say, a black film. It's more multicultural. But don't forget, there's, there's uh, Steve McQueen's Widows, uh, which comes out in November, which is going to be the opening night film at the London Film Festival with Viola Davis. And then there is Barry Jenkins' If Beale Street Could Talk, which I cannot wait for, which is his film version of the um, uh, Baldwin. James Baldwin now. Baldwin. Right. Right. And that's and no doubt that's going to premiere at Telluride in, uh, next month in August. And then it'll go to Toronto and then maybe Venice and then it'll open up. Um, so, yeah, there are other black films coming out. Um, so this is a really interesting time, as you can see from the results of Superfly is Tired. Uncle Drew isn't, hasn't been doing that well. It's doing you know, so, so okay, but it wasn't, it wasn't a hit. It, it wasn't, you know, any, it, 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 let me phrase it this way. It was, it's a box office disappointment. So I think audiences themselves that, are saying who enough. Who couldn't see that coming? The who wants to didn't. see these guys? Who, who, who wants to see these these older guys? I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not an ageist. I'm old. I'm getting old. But who wants to see these retired guys in bad looking makeup? And it's a one trick pony. Who who yeah, but that? The, forget, the studios don't know black people. They're run by white guys. They say, look, anybody could have told you. Anybody, nobody's going to see Superfly. Particularly after Black Panther, nobody's going to see Superfly. But the studios think black people are stupid to go see anything. And what happened? It died. You know, anybody could have seen that film was going to was going to tank. But these studios, you know, these studio execs, they greenlight anything. They don't care. They don't know. Remember, it wasn't that long ago. Black Panther. There was no audience for a Black Panther movie. Huh. What what was the the, the film you just mentioned, uh, Sergio? That uh, you said was was it Brain Spotting? What's the name of it? Blind Spotting. Blind Spotting with David Blind with David Diggs. That's a very good film. 
It's a very good film. That was like, like what's the other movie? Like, sorry to bother you. That film premiered at Sundance. And uh, it's more what you would say traditional, but it's very much in a Spike Lee mode. And it's actually very funny. And if I tell you the premise, you're going to go, oh, no. But no, it doesn't go the way you think. It's, he plays a young guy who um, has three days left out of probation. You know, he's in a halfway house. And he's got this white friend. A lot of this movie is about white privilege. The white guy can do anything and act like any kind of fool he wants. He gets away <laughs> with it because he's white. That's really, he's white. <laughs> he's white. And and David, uh, he just won the, the straight and narrow. Look, I got three days left. And when you see what he got arrested for, it wasn't for something dumb like drug dealing. It's because of a stupid situation he got into that his white friend was responsible for. So if this movie is very much about, it's, and also, like, like, sorry to bother you, it was also shot in Oakland. Oakland well, becoming the go place there now. I'm about to say that. Like, you got Black Panther has the Oakland connection and the right. Oakland director. You got, Even though it wasn't uh, shot in Oakland, it was shot in Atlanta, but it's supposed to be Oakland, right? Well, yeah, well, look, it's, it's got the Oakland, you know. You got the V yeah. Diggs, and this whole thing. You got, sorry to bother you. So, and, and then the premise of Blind Spotting has a lot to do with, like, a, a gentrifying Oakland. So I'm not really familiar with I know yeah. I know about Oakland, but Oakland is kind of going yeah. through its thing now. The way that Williamsburg and other areas have gone through their thing. D.C., there's certain Harlem. So I know what gentrification is intimately. So the part, the fact that that yeah. the blind spotting is the fact that blind spotting is kind of touching on that. Uh, you got me hooked on that. I'm, I, I will say I am very interested in looking at these kind of films. I I, I think the audience, which you're, which you're hinting at, is that the, audience, the the black audience as always is being underestimated. And yeah. I, we already know. We already know that there's a there, there's a thing about, um, a, I guess, a vibe where they're not going to want to see these cookie-cutter movies. Like, the Uncle Drew thing looks so much like something we've seen before and so textbook. Like, Superfly was a textbook. Nobody wants to see that crap. Yeah. You know? Uh, in, ter- in terms of the Oakland, don't forget, Ryan Coogler's from Oakland. Uh, Bruce said. Riley's from Oakland. He still lives in Oakland. And Davi Diggs, who also co-wrote, who stars and he co-produced and co-wrote Blind Spotting, he is also from Oakland. So, yeah, this is a big Oakland connection, right, with all with these three movies. And, right, you know, black audiences, I see, I'm interested to see how, what's, what's this Tyler Perry saying? Okay, Tyler Perry's movies don't do anywhere near the kind of money they used to do. They don't, right? So I don't understand why Paramount has now signed into a deal. This is the this movie is coming in the fall. It's his first deal with this it's his first movie with this Paramount deal. And I said, well look, I, I look at the numbers. His movies aren't making any his movies don't make they make almost half the kind of half the amount of money they used to. Why would I sign them to a contract? Well, look, there's, there's, well, there's a, there's a line of thinking, whether we want to agree with it or not, is that the black audience is a diverse one, and even beyond the black audience, I, how many, how many white folks that I've come encounter, I've, I've encountered where they, they gush over 
they gush, Sergio, over uh, over Tyler Perry. And I give, and they said, "Don't you like Tyler Perry?" And I give him that look, like, "Are you serious?" But as long as you have minstrel black audiences and white folks that that like minstrel stuff, there's going to be a place for Tyler Perry because the audience is diverse enough to absorb those kind of people. I will never see a Tyler Perry movie. I have absolutely you see, no but and once again, this uh, what's that? What's that comedian's name? T- uh, Tiffany Haddish. I have no idea how she's going to. What's her appeal box office? Hasn't been proven yet. Yeah, she was in Girl Talk, and everybody said it was a big hit. But then I could argue you could put another comedian in their roles would have done the same amount of money. I don't know how are people going to come out to see her in the film. Look, she has just as many detractors as she has fans. I think I think the corporates like Tiffany Haddish because she's doing commercial work. Of course work. they do, and we know why. Well, yeah. Well, there's always so far there's always a, a place for you when you do menstrual stuff. The menstrual business, as I said before, it's just like the post office. There's always work there. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I, I have there's no always idea. a job I mean, in culinary. <laughs> I mean, I mean, her 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 mannerisms. Even when they they did a recent, I think it was a was it a BET skit or MTV skit? I think Jamie Foxx did one and she did the other one, lambasting or, or par- doing a parody of like Black Panther, and I didn't I wasn't comfortable with it. And I know many of the blurred community didn't like that because many people perceive Black Panther kind of in a certain you know, it's a very inspiring, prideful fa- fantasy project, and then these 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 minstrels come around. And poke fun of it like they belong to it. No, nah, no, nah, no, partner, you ain't in this in, in this crew. The door is locked on you. You can't come to Wakanda. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want. It's even a joke that Tiffany Haddish thinks she's going to be able to get in Wakanda. No. The door's <laughs> you know that's funny. <laughs> that, now that's funny. You know, they just they just assume that they're going to gain entrance. No, <laughs> not going in there. You know, I'm personally friends with the tower. You're not getting in here. Forget that. <laughs> I got something real special coming up with one of our video impressions. I can't say anything, but if I'm able to pull it off, wearing a Black Panther shirt is going to be pretty interesting. I'm working on that. I'm always trying to do something different. This is going to be real cool as F as I'm, if I'm able to pull this off. I keep on talking about it. Cause I, I have a friend of mine that, that called me up saying I'm still working on this thing, and you know we'll see if we can get it done. So it'll be interesting. Anyway, um, so folks, in the long run, what I'm going to say is go see. Sorry to bother you. Go see it. You know, it's 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 unlike any other film you've ever seen before. It's definitely unlike any other black film you've seen before. Uh, like I said, I give all credit to Boots Riley. I don't think it, I don't think it entirely works, but it, it personally, I don't think it entirely works. But uh, it's definitely worthwhile. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. As I said, I'm going to see it again. I probably see it a third time. You know, it's it's a, it's a movie. It's also a film that's definitely going to have a long life afterwards as a cult movie. Well, I'll question. You know, people are still going to be talking about this film for some time. Well, you know, you know something else too is that um, I felt so good about having seen the movie because at first I was like, I wanted to see it, but the fact that I kind of go out my comfort zone, my comfort zone to see it was kind of bothering me. But I was, gl- I was glad that that film got me out of my comfort zone to go to this particular theater. And also, even if the film, I, I can't even classify the movie as mediocre because it was so freakish. 
it was refreshing to see to, to, to see black imagery outside of a kind of textbook formula kind of thing. So I, I just wonder if if this will be hopefully kind of a sign of a of a of a long state of a healthy state of films that depict black people in radically different ways. That that's where that's where this film really works for me. It is so I, I know that um when I mentioned Purple Rain. Purple Rain, you're going back thirty years now. Purple Rain wow, thirty years. Purple Rain uh is a kind of film that I would say I don't know any I don't know any black people like that. <laughs> like I just you know, I just it was so freaky for its time. I mean now people look at it like, okay, it's an eighties film, there's a lot of problems with it, but it, it, the talent of Prince was able to kind of supersede that. But even the visuals for that film, you know, you know a, a diminutive brother on a, on, a, on a motorcycle, I never saw that. <laughs> you know what I mean? People in the audience members were kind of freaky looking. And it was just, you know, uh, the chili sauce sliding across the, across the, across the, uh, the stage with, with um, all that pimposity of Morris Day. I mean, I just never saw that. It, was, it stuck with me to this day. But sorry to bother you, kind of sort of channels a little bit of that. So I thought that was refreshing. And the, the last thing I want to say, which may be, I guess, a good thing, is that there's some degree of success. With, we're, just, we're going to assume that Sorry to Bother You is going to be successful by a certain level of metrics. I think it's already going down that way. It's an independent film. It's already kind of going down in a certain way, right? But... Yeah. Um, Boost Riley's already getting gigs out of this already. Boost Riley already has, I want to put a link in the chat room, but according to Deadline.com, it says, Sorry to bother you, writer-director Boost Riley, to pin TV series from Michael Ellenberg's media rest. I'm going to read this quickly, and then we'll, we'll move along. But this is, this is already, this is the purpose of this. This man, people have already said, this man has an eye. On the heels of the strong box office opening to Boost Riley's feature debut, Sorry to Bother You, the musician-turned-filmmaker is making a foray into TV with a script deal at Michael Ellenberg's studio, Media Res. The project whose premise is not being revealed will be, pack- will be packaged and shopped to premium outlets later this year. Ellenberg and Riley first met following the 2018 Sundance Film Festival, where Riley, Sorry to Bother You, screened and was quickly scooped up by Annapurna Pictures in a seven-figure deal. The fantasy science fiction film, which marked Riley's directorial debut, follows a young African-American telemarketer, blah, 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 blah. You know about that, blah, 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 blah. Uh, right. That's, that's, that's basically So, I mean, the bottom line is he got a deal out of it, <laughs> which was the purpose. Well, and keep in mind, so I, keep I, I in mind, uh, so, sorry to bother you, only cost $5 million to make. So, right. without question, and, you know, I think Superfly cost somewhere like $17 million to make. And believe me, $17 million is considered real low budget. So $5 million is minuscule. But Superfly didn't even make $17 million. Uh, Sorry to bother you, has already done, I think, somewhere around $8 million in 700, theater, in 700 screens. So, you know, at the rate it's going, it's, it's probably going to do maybe $20, 21000000 million, which is a nice return for a $5 million movie. Um, right, it's it's not going to do 
it's not going to do uh, uh, Black Panther numbers, or what else can? What what else could? Well, yeah, I mean, no one's looking at that. I mean, the, the metrics right. for this movie, I think, are fine. You know, everything doesn't have yeah. to be Black Panther. I just I no, everything Black doesn't have to Panther. be Black Panther. I think the Black but Panther. But the other thing too is um, uh, just get more people to come out here and support it, and um, I don't want it to go the way of Afropunk where you have all these people and the media, black media, still ignores it. Is the black media at all covering still? They're still not covering Afropunk? No, not they really. just had the one in not Paris. The Paris one was it's this weekend. You know? Well, look. This is a worldwide thing now. There's Afropunk Paris, there's Afropunk London. You know, Afropunk in New York, is the black media still ignoring it? Yes, they are ignoring. I mean, that's that's the whole deal. That's that's my uh, frustration when I talk about this on on the show, is that Afropunk has turned global. You know, when we interviewed Jocelyn Cooper, it was all about Brooklyn. But now, like you said, there's a UK version, there's a South Africa version. Yes, uh, there is. Right. There's a, I think there's a, there's, a, there's an ATL version. I mean, it, this is a global phenomenon. Yeah. That's and, and even when Angela Rye. Angela Rye, CNN's owns Angela Rye. She was there in a booth. And I didn't get a chance to check her out because I found out at the last minute. And my, one, of, one of the things I would have told her, my, you know, wasn't to like, talk about politics, really. My, my main thing was, while you're here, this is like, I wasn't even thinking about, thinking about this so, so like, I, this is like a knee-jerk thing. I was saying, while you're here, are you going to spread the word about Afropunk? Because when these people, these people that are from the media attend Afropunk, that they, they, they don't talk about it. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. She she had plenty of times after having a show, after having appeared at Afropunk to actually talk about it in the media. She did not. But she will talk about yeah. about hip hop. She would talk about hip hop. She would talk about like that ratchet stuff because she's half ratchet. Yeah, I said it. No, she's or not she, half. She, or, or she appreciates ratchet stuff. Let me put it that way. I don't want to call her ratchet. I, I, I would just say she's full ratchet. When you see her in the show, I don't know. Sometimes I think she's auditioning for a, a Real Housewives of Atlanta. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, she look. What she did seems to trend because last week when she was crying over the over the racism, as if racism is new. <laughs> see, to me, when when these these racists are getting ready to pull out their pitchforks and stick it up your rectum, I'm not crying. Okay, I'm prepared for war. This is why I get I have to get my Q storm on about what he has, what he's dealing with. You know, you know, I'm, you know, I don't talk about his business, but Q storm, you know, he's a licensed owner. So it's time for, we can't have people crying. The millennials are crying about uh, like stuff that we well, already know. People, it reminds it's, me it's what a black woman once said about her. It reminds me what a black woman once said about her. She said Angela Rye reminds me of. She, she reminds me of the light. She reminds me of the light-skinned chick in high school, who hung around always around the white girls and made fun of the dark-skinned girls. And I said, yeah. "Yeah, she probably yes, she was that girl." I don't do plantation stuff, uh, Sergio. I just don't. I don't. I don't get it. That she's 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 a charming negress. I say that affectionately. I don't. I'm not. I'm not here to uh, weigh people's blackness or. Wow. I, I, I just don't do that. 
Okay. That, I, I, she's that, going girl. On she's that girl. She was that girl. I can tell. I don't that chick that. was right. <laughs> can, I, can I interject here? Can I say something? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just get back to sanity. Go ahead. <laughs> I just want to say I, I don't con- necessarily condone her or Van Jones, so I'm starting to give more of a side eye to it with every passing day. Yeah, I, 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 I do too. Them. Yeah, I know. I know. I know you. Feel I don't give them. them. I don't condone them crying, but you know, sometimes you know the, the struggle gets hard and people crack. You know, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to. Oh, I will tell you friend, this. Talking I'm about not crying, but I, I, I don't, I don't. I don't blame them or, you know, throw arrows and spears at them. Come on. By the way, I'll, speaking I'll, of black people on, on on network news shows, you know, and I just read this last week, uh, Joy as Reed ratings have dropped over 20% in the last few weeks. After, you know, it came out that Joanne Reed is the liberalist liberal, except when it comes to gay people, you know. Yeah, <laughs> then she's well. got a problem. Then she's on TV crying, apologizing, saying that she doesn't remember saying those things. She doesn't remember tweeting those things. And but she got hacked. But she can't prove it. But I apologize for writing them. But I don't remember writing them. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, the funny thing about her is that she had this blog going back a couple of years ago, maybe a decade ago, and she said to yeah. her those things. Her, her first reaction was, I don't know anything about it. I was hacked. Like it was, it was, it, the reaction is always the same, where people act as if it didn't happen or they, they had nothing to do with it or some mysterious hacker did this before they finally come around to saying it was me. <laughs> so now, but the problem is that she's worked at MSNBC, and a lot of that has to do with intersectionality, and you have to work with groups that you thought were separate from you. Now, you know, you have to work with people who are all on the progressive, on the progressive train. And they, you know, if, if they, all things being fair, all things being fair, we saw Roseanne lose her gig for similar, uh-huh. uh, similar sentiments, except that instead of black people, it was gay people. So by all rights, you're supposed to lose your gig. But we see that, hey, you know, she's on the same team, so we might let her, you know, we might let her slide. But she's gonna, it looks like they're, gonna, they, they're like slowly easing her out. <laughs> well, maybe because, is, like I said, she, well, like I said, her ratings have dropped 20, over 20% since that whole thing came out. Because even people who liked her, you know, saying that, well, she's a hypocrite. And then, you know, she was supposed to receive an award from uh, LBGT group. They, they rescinded. Okay, the, two, the, the one smart thing she did was after it came out, she, what's the first thing she did? She had these gay people on the show basically giving her a pass and forgiving her, including Jonathan Capehart, you know. And they gave her a pass. And then from what I've read, um, who's that, the one who comes on the evenings, uh, Rachel Maddow went to the network and stood up for her, okay? So Rachel Maddow, even though she insulted Rachel Maddow, Rachel Maddow still stood up for her because she's on the team, right? And that's basically what saved her ass, you know? If Maddow hadn't done it, she probably would have been gone. 
Yeah, well, well, we'll see how it works, man. You know, I, I, I can't look. That's a, that's an equivalent of Donald Sterling, the former owner of the Clippers, getting an award. I think several awards for the NAACP. I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah that's right. Want, you, you've got you know, some I mean, evangelists and evangelists across the South going to uh, bat for Trump. You got these evangelists and you got all these Christians saying that Trump is a reborn Christian and they're going uh, giving him a pass. Why the hell can't Joy Reid get a pass? No, she can't. She got one. She got one. She got it. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Because got, well, if her, if her they, ratings they, keep they, dropping, then she's got trouble. Point. If her ratings keep dropping, because a twenty percent drop in ratings, that's not good. That is really not good. And if they keep dropping, she could be in serious trouble. It doesn't matter who stands up for her. Now, the only thing that's really also saving her ass is that she's really the only black person, when she's the only black woman that NBC has on any kind of regular basis with a show. Gentlemen, we got about you know thirty minutes less less than thirty minutes remaining, so I want to move things. Can I talk about Ant Man and Wasp? Well, 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 hold on. We, we'll we'll get to okay. that. We spoke about that last week, actually. But I, this is something I think you might actually be able to dig your teeth into, Sergio. Uh, it's, right. it's a double sided thing. I was debating whether to get into this, and I, I'll touch on it a little bit. Uh, Q Storm knows about this, but th- th- I want to I want to connect it to what's going on with this rub and tug film. Although the, no. the film title is yeah Chief, okay the film, I, the film no, title yeah, okay. the film title intrigues me rub and tug right but <laughs> it's got and it but unfortunately it's not going to be Scarlett Johansson um, doing the rubbing and tugging <laughs> uh, so let me let me clean it up a little bit here ScarJo is in hot water again or, or rather she took her toe out of the hot water this time. We know that, what, two years ago she was in trouble because of the Ghost in a Shell um, film where she allegedly was accused of whitewashing, that that film was intended to, at least it could have, a, a, an Asian actor could have been chosen for that film. And instead, they went with a very Caucasian Scarlett Johansson. And this has been a theme, especially with fo- those of Asian descent, but Really, across the, the racial spectrum, we've seen the default positioning of white actors superimposing for actors of color. So now we have another protected class that is emerging, and we're talking about the transgender set, the trans- transgender folks. So from my understanding, Rub and Tug is the real-life story of a transgender Gangster or gangstress, and uh, this was in the 70s, and they just went, just as part, part of the course, they did the knee-jerk thing and went straight to Scarlett Johansson, who was clearly not transgender, but she has a box office appeal. And the transgender people and other folks that are about kind of authenticity in film felt, hey, wait a minute, once again, you can't keep doing this. And she was and, – and actually what made it even more interesting is that her, her response was not a kind one. Her response to the criticism was check for, Jeff, check for Jeffrey Tambor. Check, she, she went through a litany of actors. I think she, went, she also mentioned um, 
uh, what's his name? The Joker himself. Why, why can't I think his, his name? Anyway, she went to a few actors that... Uh, you're talking that, about uh, Jared, that, Le- Jared Leto. Yeah, Jared Leto. Jared, Jared Leto? Yeah, Jared Leto. A few actors that actually got a, a lot of um, accolades, uh, uh, Oscars and uh, Oscar nominations or Oscars and or Emmys, in the case of Jeffrey Tambor for playing transgender when they're in actuality cisgender. Um, she thought she could follow along that same, that same path, and she gave a real snarky response, and the heat got too heavy, and now she took herself out of that film. So what are your thoughts about, about this? I, I have to respect it. I have to respect it because I'm always talking about authenticity. And, look, this is probably not going to be my type of film in theory. I, I don't know. I don't know. I have to see. I have to see what it looks like. But um, I appreciate the fact that if you're going to do a transgender, a film about a transgender person, and you have transgender actors available, the logical connection will get somebody who, I mean, we see that with, uh, with, with um, what was the film that just closed up on Netflix? Sensei. Sensate. Sensate. So they are, they're out there. What, what's, what's, you know, so what are your thoughts about this, Q, and then I'll go to, um, I'll go to Sergio. I honestly don't have much to say about this. I, I don't understand the character. Was the character that is it based on an actual story? In in, in which case, yeah, it's a real life. That's what I just said. So, so did the man was it a man that went to a woman or a woman that went to a man? I don't think it even matters. I think you need somebody who's just a transgender person. Whoever made the whatever the whatever the transition was, I think you need that person to do that role. Or was more respectful to doing that role. It, you 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 should not look at that any different than let's say someone. Well, we've been talking about it ad nauseum when there's an Asian an Asian uh, character, and you have a white person portraying that Asian person, and that happens. That's been happen, guess, happening repeatedly. I guess what I'm saying is, it, let's say just for the sake of argument, it's a man who became a woman, and that man now identifies as a woman. I guess what my question is then if a woman's playing the role, what is the issue? That's where I'm lost a little bit. Because this man, what's his name? Uh, Caitlyn Jenner wants to be identified as a woman. So if you, let's say you, you want to do the Bruce Jenner story. Is he going to get upset if they hire a woman to portray Caitlyn Jenner? Well, well why, why? Well, I hear what you're saying. I mean, the, the end result is, is purportedly to be a, a woman or a man, whatever the, whatever the transition is. But the journey of the transition is, is uh, endemic to the individual. Like, you, you know, you can have a Scarlett Johansson portray a woman, but she can't necessarily portray a transgender woman because there's a whole pro- – I mean, this particular story was, was a transgender story. Okay. I mean, it really I, was. Again, I, 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 plead, I, I plead ignorance. In, in this, so I, you know, I'm not going to comment too much about it. I was very confused about it, you know. So, you you heard my take on it. Now, I would love to sit down with a transgender person, and explain who could explain to me why what I'm thinking is incorrect in their eyes, and you know, I, I'm I'm open to that, you know. But other than that, I don't really have 
I can't really comment much more because I need more comprehension on it. I mean, because, well, look, at the very least, if you have transgender actors, why why are you going to a cisgender person for the role then? I mean, you do have transgender well, actors. Well, I, I understand, mean, it's, but it then clearly, also... it's, it's, it's clear. Listen, I, I, I'm the last person <laughs> to try to, like, explain this, but I, I, I do understand that if you're doing a specific transgender transgender story, why not have a transgender to portray? I mean, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. The only reason I could, the only thing I could come up with, and I'm not, I'm not saying it makes it right, but I, I can't think of any transgender actors that are going to get butts and seats. Well, well, first of all, first of all, um, Scarlett Johansson can't get people into the seats. She had, she was named as the most, was it last year, as the most successful box office actress in Hollywood right now, and it's only because of the Marvel movies. You just counted all the Marvel movies she's in, of course, it's billions of dollars. She's not going to bring in an audience by herself. She never has. Nobody saw Ghost in the Shell. Film tanked. And even Paramount Studios rarely admit mistakes. But even Paramount last year said the film tanked. They admitted we made a mistake in casting. We should have got an Asian actress. It was a mistake on our part, right? It's rare for a studio to say that. Putting Scarlett Hansen in this movie is no guarantee that people are going to come see it. Now, two things. She says Jeffrey Tambor, right, that show he's on Transparent. I haven't seen the show. But for understand, Maybe. he plays a man who is slowly going through the transformation. So, of course, you would have a man to play the role, right? Now, in the case of this movie, the character's already transgender. First of all, I have to say, and I said this before, I still don't really get the whole transgender thing. I really don't. I don't get it. You know, I remember when they used to be called transsexuals. And I remember they were very few in number. Now, it seems everybody else is, and I'm like... Where did they all before? Were they hiding? I don't understand. But if this person is already transgender in the movie, then it makes sense to get a transgender person to play the part. You know, this is a tough film to shoot anyway. This is a film that's now going to get a huge, a, a, a huge interest by the by the public at large, right? No matter who stars in it, Scarlett Johansson isn't going to help it. Well, first about uh, first about Scarlett Johansson, I think her real misstep was that Scar- uh, that uh, Ghost in the Shell situation because if you remember Lucy, the Lu- the Lu- 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 Besson okay, movie, Lucy made money, Lucy was, right? Lucy made money, well, right? Uh, well, Lu- Lucy was the one that really set it off because she was popular in other vehicles, like not being the main star, but her name had some right. power. But when Lucy came out by herself. This is kind of a film that could have easily gone like to to you know to a, a, a Netflix. The movie did gangbuster mo- uh, movie as a, like a solo heroine. So that's where they really went. It from Lucy to um, Ghost in the Shell was the problem. And the, and it's the, and so far her problem is taking roles that appear to be kind of a miscasting situation. That she's going into these things that are very much into going into a political situation. So whether it's about race in the sense of 
the Asian community, and now about gender gender politics with the transgender community. She's, she's separate, she, she is unfortunately not being um, close to what's happening on the street. Like what's the, the other the, the actor the white actor that opted out of the upcoming uh, reboot for um, what's that movie? Um, cute the uh, Hellboy. Hellboy. Right. Hellboy. The Hellboy. The Hellboy movie. You know the, the actor. I mean the the character. I mean I've been reading the books here and there. Is clearly of Asian descent, but people feel no one cares. Well, guess what? People are looking. People are caring. And she stepped into it again, and what made it worse is she didn't appear to learn for the first time. Those checks are good. Well, that's her fault, that's you know. That's her fault, you oh. know. She's, you know, relatively clueless. She's one of these, as you call, limousine liberals, you know, I'm sure. You know, so um, they learned about everybody else, but not really. So, um, yeah, so she's not in the picture anymore. Um I don't know if the film will get made, you know, now. Now that they've lost her, they can try to uh, – this was obviously an independent movie. This wasn't some studio film. So uh, they're going to try to recast. Maybe they won't be able to raise the money with an unknown transgender uh, person in the lead. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, so – I mention this because um, Q Storm, you remember that we. I'm not going to go into you know a whole big to do about it, but it was, we had an interesting exchange with uh, the gentleman from Fan Bros, and I wanted to get him on the show, but I think he, he is declining to get on the show. And we went into a similar argument, and I mean respectful exchange. It really wasn't an argument. A similar exchange with the whole situation with uh, um, John Kasdan and his father, John Kasdan specifically who is one of the writers with his father of the Star Wars, uh, this new iteration of Star Wars. And he said a few, what, a few months ago, we spoke about this a lot on the show, we said, he had said that, oh, well, I see Billy Dee Williams' portrayal of Lando Calrissian along with Donald Glover's portrayal. I see them as sexually fluid. So that garnered some traction <laughs> on the Internet. That garnered some traction on the, on the Internet. And many, many folks who are of certain generations or certain, you know, who are, in, who are of a certain generation, a certain mindset, they're comfortable and just kind of going there with, with that. And I, I just don't see what they see. So I've been kind of looking at Empire Strikes Back again, so I'm trying to figure this out. Like, how do you just say, well, I just see this person as sexually fluid, and I see Billy Dee doing what he's always been doing. I mean, this man came out – I mean, some of the arguments – that, I, that I, I have seen about this thing, it boggles the mind. And, and yet, and I think he would admit this, and, and, and again, I, th- I think he thinks that this show was a quote-unquote inward show. I, I must say that, and I, and I must repeat that, no, th- this show is, I mean, you know, we, 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 do, we, run a, we run a respectful show here. We can get, in, we can get funny and, and, have, and kick back and crack jokes, but we barely use vulgar language on the show. I just thought that uh, it would have been interesting for the audience for somebody to come in and say, okay, this is what I think. This is my position. I, I have my position. I'm sure Q-Storm and other people have their position. We hash it out. We agree to disagree and move our separate ways. But the purpose is to kind of educate the audience. It's not really about somebody's got to win. I really wasn't looking at it from, perspective, from that perspective. Um, I thought it was interesting 
that when when he brought up, uh, and again I'm talking about uh, DJ Ben Hameen, definitely check out, definitely check out the fan bro because I am a, I'm a supporter of his podcast and I will continue to be a supporter of his podcast. It's really not that not that big a deal, but I I support what they do, but on occasion people disagree. Um, in real life, I I, I think we're going in a, in a direction. Where we can't, we can't like you got to have the right opinion. I, I'm kind of confused on that now too. If you don't have the right opinion, something's wrong with you. I'm like, no, I just don't agree with you. So yeah. I, I, I look at it. I'm looking. You know, the news is Billy D is been is being brought back into the franchise. I find that political because I would have thought he would have been one of the first people, along with the rest of the cast, to come in when he started rebooting these things. They we couldn't get a clear answer on why Billy D wasn't brought in. Now that these things don't seem to be working out that well, and there's so much controversy controversy about the new Star Wars, now we're hearing we're going to bring back Billy D. Billy D is like 80 years old. I, I have all respect for uh, maturing actors, so I just hope they don't have him kind of just, you know, not really. I want him. To, I want him to be Billy D. I want him to be respected as an icon. He was a superstar. I want. The, I want that man not to get like some kind of. Paul bearing role, and then that, and then hey, we see, hey, there's a cameo, and then he's, he's out in like two minutes. I hope they don't do that. Prepare so, yourself. I, I, <laughs> you, you, you and also, you by the way, you know, with this with this new technology that they do, they can actually here make him look young. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? Here we go. Well, I mean, well, I, mean about you know, that. You know, I, I mean. Well, the only thing about that is uh, this movie is going to go. It's, it's kind of it's going to be the the present. It's not going to be in the past. I don't think so. Yeah, but still, still right. they're going to freshen him up. He's eighty-one years old. They're going to freshen him up, right? You know, I mean, this new. Mo- <laughs> I don't know. Laughing? They didn't freshen up Leia. They didn't freshen up Leia. I mean, come on. She was. I mean, they need to. I mean, I mean. I mean, look at this movie. It's, it's come out that Martin Scorsese has coming out, The Irishman, with De Niro and and Al Pacino, and it, it takes place over a course of like forty years. Well, what they have, what they're doing on this movie is that digitally, they're going to make them look younger, and you know, and they will slowly age them digitally as the storyline goes along, you know. So, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of things. Hey, uh, um, they no, didn't they? Yes, they did. Didn't one of the Star Wars movie that did have, it didn't look that great, but it did have a younger looking, or they had a young Princess Leia. Which one was it? It didn't really yeah, that look right. Rogue, it, was Rogue one, it was Rogue One, and it lasted all of five seconds. <laughs> yeah, and it okay. didn't look good. But the technology now, has looked, really improved over for, the years. It looks good for five seconds. You can't do a whole film with that technology. Well, now they're things doing things whole movies like, like that. that. Now they're going to do whole movies like that, you know? Well, they're going to do more I whole think, movies like that. I, I think Marvel might have the magic touch on that. <laughs> i got to be cute. When I saw Ant-Man, I saw a younger Michael Douglas again. I said, okay, this yeah, is right. Wall Street. And then I saw – and then I saw a, a – young. but I think actually the younger – the younger version of, of uh, Larry Fishburne, I, they said his son was involved. Like he, his, his son. I'm no, 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 no. That was makeup. That was makeup. That was makeup. It was. That, that was 
makeup because it looked like makeup. The hairline, it looked like he was wearing a wig and everything. That was makeup. But Michael I, Douglas I and think... Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah, they used additional technology to make them look younger. I don't know about that. I don't know. I, don't know about I mean, I, I was like, I thought that looked like Larry Fishburne, man. I thought it was like. That uh, looked like makeup to me. What? what? I didn't yeah. Know. Did you see that? In Fishburne case, yeah, it looked like makeup. I don't think so. I, mean, I can be. I can't I, say for sure, but I don't think so. It was no because good. because you know because because his face was whiter, like it is now. You know, look at Larry Fish when he was younger. He was his face was thinner. His face was thinner. No, no, it, they, well, no look, they took. It, it, they took Larry Fishburne now and CGI'd him around his face, so his face would still be wider. No, I swear to God, I still think it looked like makeup to me. Because when I saw it, I said, how can they CGI his face like Michael Douglas? They just gave him a wig. Well, look, I know I, I had to look at it again because I was per- perfectly pleased. I thought I was looking at Larry, Larry Fishburne. I thought, I thought when he went, bent down to speak to the younger uh, ghost, I, I thought it was Larry Fishburne. I thought he got the same treatment, personally. I couldn't tell. Yeah, I, only, I thought it was... But only read... To me, it seemed like Larry Fishburne with all of the tennis balls on his face, and he was de-aged. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, the fact that we have to... Oh, well. That we're discussing, just discussing it means that they did their job. And I think Marvel, once again, is going to get the credit for kind of ushering this thing in because there have been other movies that try to do the de-aging thing and just didn't quite get it. You know, um, Tron, the Tron sequel was just horrible. You could tell it was like, I guess it was yeah. meant to be a looking thing, but like Marvel has it down pat where I could see an entire but, movie like that. You know, the next and one, Deepert, now, you, well, I, I was just going to say, you, now, you, you may have, a, you and Sergio may have a point about you know, uh, whole movies being digitally, with actors being digital, because Robert Zemeckis, I don't know if the film looks any good, but he's about to break the mold again with this, um, I forget the name of it, but Steve Carell is starting yeah, this movie. Yeah, I think, well, welcome to Marburn. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen the trade. The trailer's out now. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, it, but, that's but gonna in that case. Technically, the story doesn't look very good to me, though. Well, first of all, believe it or not, I have a friend who knows that guy personally, that the film is based on. Um, and, right, their faces are made to look like dolls, right, like plastic dolls, right? So it's supposed Marina. to look artificial, right? Well, we got, um, we, got seven, we got about seven minutes remaining, so let me just kind of, you know, finish this up quickly, and I'll, I'll continue. But I, want to do, I do want to mention this, because, you know, I did mention the deal with ScarJo thing, and I did mention uh, Billy Williams. And I guess my my point is, is that... When I spoke to uh, the, the gentleman from Fan Bros, you know, it, it was interesting that he felt a certain way about uh, the the Ao character, who was supposed to be gay in Black Panther. Now we know those those uh, Dora Milaje's, some of them are alternative lifestyle, but that is more recent in the comic book. Okay, we can we can appreciate that for being canon, but some folks critiqued it as being straight washing and he he brought that to my attention and i said wait a minute you prove my point my point is why are you gay baiting i think that's the term gay baiting um 
J.D. Williams, when we didn't see that, that's not, the, that's not really canon for that character. And yet, when this character, uh, the A.O. character was straight-watched, and it was straight-watched. I, I had an opinion about it, but I knew why they did it, because they, they were trying to sell a film to Africans. But that's, that's beside the point. But, but, but it is fair. It is fair to want to stick to canon. So I said, well, why, what's the difference between Billy Williams being, being changed around to fit a certain agenda, just like uh, the, the, the Black Panther Melage was turned around? He didn't really give me a sufficient response to that. I uh-huh. thought that was it. Well, can I say something? I would have loved to see some girl-girl action in Black Panther. Oh, here we go. That would have been the bomb. <laughs> Yeah, but that, we, we, we're sitting on $1.5 billion, whatever it is, for that film. Um, oh, it would African have been $2.5 But oh, no. <laughs> Brothers would have been coming back again and again. I don't know about that. Hey, I, hey. I don't know about that. It's Disney, too. It's also Disney. Hey, I would have been like coming back again and again. Can I make one quick Go ahead. Uh, notation on the black uh, on the uh, Lando thing? I don't know if you guys, we're all old enough to remember, it's a classic, Revenge of the Nerds. With uh, yeah, Anthony Edwards and the the work the re- renowned actor now I can't think uh, J- what's his, he played in Babe, can't think of his name, but um, there was a black the one black character in that film yeah, who was gay. a nerd was a gay was a gay character and it was played for laughs and minstrelsy, and that's how I feel. I, I have nothing against LGBTQ agenda, nothing at all, but. That's how I feel about Lando. I think you, D-Bird, have put this the best. Why are you going to be tweaking that character? You would never tweak Bond. You would never tweak Solo. You would never tweak Indiana Jones. But you feel like you can play around with that character. And that's, you know, not that I would care if he was gay if he had been established that way in Empire Strikes Back, but he wasn't. We know the answer to that. We know the answer to that. Well, 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 Q, let me say this. I, I think what, what's really, what I had a problems with with the conversation was uh, we can't talk about, like, the, the racial kind of context when people just make willy-nilly changes to black characters. Like, we don't think that it has kind of a racial intent. Uh, you could, you know, like, if, you're, if, you are of lesser, if you are of lesser power, they can just make the changes. But James Bond is not going to be in heels and a dress. It's never going to happen. You're not going to see Indiana Jones in a certain way. And unfortunately, not, I don't say unfortunately, but Lando Calrissian, since he, since he uh, is like entrance into this genre, you need to remember that too. Black folks weren't always in these kind of films. The fact that you had to have a superstar, you need to remember, Billy Williams 1980 was a superstar. In order to have a black superstar in, in, in a science fiction or fantasy or so, uh, space opera film, you had to go to someone like that for the energy to put him into that film. He was brought in for a reason. But this whole thing about, I think, I, I, think, uh, I, was, it was, I was critiqued for like, well, if you're looking for blackness from, from a uh, Star Wars film, da 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 I said, that's not what it's about. It's that if, you ha- if, if the corporates are going to bring in a black person or, or tap into black culture, they should respect you. If, if Michael Jackson sings a song that's very disrespectful to Jewish people, they're not going to let that ride. He tapped into a Jewish thing to their discomfort, and they checked him. 
But anytime it's black people, we just sit there and we just take it. We just, when I hear these younger people talk about certain things, they have this whole attitude about, well, things are always going to be this way. Or, you know, it, they got this, this kind of nonchalant, bend-over attitude. When old-school black folks, the slightest thing that they felt didn't ring well with them, they would, they would uh, write letters, they would make phone calls. I, I've mentioned um, Roosevelt Franklin, the Roosevelt Franklin character on, on Sesame Street. That was a shuck-and-jive puppet. Black folks didn't like it. Guess what? They called up. They had to straighten that, straighten that ish out. The new school people, the, 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 uh, the micro, microaggression people, they, they seem, when it comes to black people, we kind of sit and take things. I don't get it. I'm, I'm lost with this crew. I'm lost with them. Well, you know, and once again, and even though I know Q Storm thinks it is crazy, I'll say it again. With an actor like, uh, what's the guy's name? Donald Glover. You know, he said things in the past. He's, you know, ambiguous. let's face it this way. Ambiguous let's, let's put it to, ambiguous Yeah, thing. let's put it this way. He would not have had a problem if they came to him and he said, well, you know, you're bisexual or pansexual, whatever it is. Now, if it was somebody like Billy D. Williams would not have gone for that. You know, Jim Brown would have gone for that. Wesley oh. Snipes would not have gone for that. You know, of of Denzel Washington wouldn't have gone for that, right? What, you what know, someone right? like Donald what, Glover. What, you know, what, he's. Well, he had his Tu Wong Fu thing going on, though. Let's, you know, he put. Oh, he went Jesus, to a certain, I forgot he, about he, that. He made, he made compromises. But see, that's he what made, but, that's you, know, you guys wanted to watch. Go ahead. Go ahead go I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. I want to say okay. that's where I think you. All right, right. I want to say I think that's where I think you guys muddy the water. See, I think it's not. I I I don't agree with you where you say, well, wait a minute. Wesley Snipes had his two Wong food thing going. I don't see a problem with. <clears throat> listen, I don't see a problem if Billy Dee Williams, Jim Brown, any of these guys want to play a gay character. I know they don't want to because they think masculinity <laughs> is defined by. Wait, wait, let me just say this. They think masculinity is defined by one thing. I don't agree with that. But what I do what I do say is that if you have one strong black character, don't change him because I can see I can see through your games. You want to make another black character that's gay, I'm all for that. But don't change Billy D who because I do want to see male black heterosexual characters as much as I'm okay with black male gay characters. So I think you muddy the waters where you say, oh, wait a minute, oh, uh, 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 what's the size of what dress? There's not a problem with that. You That's know, the you're, making, for. you're making me laugh, right? Because there's a movie Jim Brown made called Ice Ski from Devil's Island, right? Low-budget film in the, in the mid- early 70s. And there's a scene in the movie where late at night he's building a raft so he can get off this Devil's Island, right? And a guard comes by. So there's another guy there he's building the raft riff with, right? So the guard comes by, and Jim Bob's got to figure out how to get out of the situation. So when the guard comes around, he sees the white guy, his head is on Jim Brown's shoulder, and they're holding hands. And Jim Brown's like, get out of here. We want to be alone. You know? <laughs> I said, Jim had to do it. Just to, and the only reason he did it was to deflect the guard because I'm 
sure that took everything in Jim Brown's power. <laughs> he helped not to do that. He probably wasn't the director. Is there some other way we can uh, get out of this situation? <laughs> But, but look, I, I, we already, we're, we're, we're already past the time, so I'm going to give another three to five minutes. But I, I just want to okay. make this clear. I, I, I hear what Q-Storm is saying, and I pretty much agree. I, I think, um, look, we're kind of half-joking, but I will say this. My, my, I think we agree on this part. I, I think uh, the, this whole I- issue with not being able to develop characters out of thin air is problematic because we see in it. And we love the characters. I keep on bringing up Michael Burnham. Michael Burnham was a character that was created out of thin air. Michael Burnham from Star Trek Discovery. The fact that the whole backstory is interesting. They just created her. So it's not like people can't create these pan or sexually fluid characters. But, but the, 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 the racism for me is the ease at which you can just be dismissive of, of, a, of a singular black story to superimpose on top of another one. Like that black story deserves respect for it for its for itself unto itself. But to sit there and say, Oh, okay, we're just gonna switch we're gonna switch chairs right now just because because black because it really saying is that well black people we can do whatever we want to do with them. We're, they're interchangeable. Black stories and black stories, black lives, black experiences are not interchangeable. And no one is going to take away the importance of the of the uh of the J of the James Bond, they're not going to take any importance of what any of these characters mean to the game. There's certain white characters, that, you know, white masculine, cisgender, whatever you would call them. They're not going to be me, Sherlock Holmes, whatever. They're only they're only going to move around so so much with those characters. But for the black characters, we're not allowed to have legacy. We're not allowed to have. You know, like our own thing. Uh, Lando Carizian, Billy B. Williams has a certain place. And now these younger people, and I've, I see this as a theme. This is a theme where they just don't seem to care or give importance to legacy. You know what I mean? That's, the, that's what I have. Jim Brown, all that all stuff right. for the black nation, that's, that's, that's a legacy. Anyway, so that's, that's it. let us say, <clears throat> say good night for tonight um no you're right i can't disagree with that you know it's disrespectful that's what it is it's disrespectful on that note gentlemen uh we went over time so we appreciate it we'll be back on wednesday okay. i think and we'll be doing this again uh going out leon bridges smooth sailing next week Real.
Did I like the way? Did I like the way? Take your ship out and maybe your clock on. I won't break it down. No, honey, I won't wear you down.